it began just as you see here. Do you know what you have just done? You have transferred us in time and space, and I hadn't even set the controls. Now I don't know where we are. We could be anywhere in the universe, and at any time. Yes, this is how it began. The adventure that started by accident, taking us out of this time and place to a lost planet. Who's there? Who's there? Come with us into that strange new world. I cannot guarantee your safety, but I can promise you unimagined thrills. As I'm <laughs> doing my intro. Yeah, uh, I thought my thing went off, but yeah, we're fine. Okay, <laughs> Hello and welcome to Who Watches Who, a Doctor Who podcast with me, Matthew, and as always... Hello, I'm Scott. <gasps> yes, hello Scott. This is our 51st episode, which may confuse you because it is our year-long special, but remember we did take a break during December, January-ish time, and it's amazing that we're only actually one week behind... Uh, yeah considering we took many weeks off i guess it's because we did all of those episodes uh that would be yeah. doing the episodes would make the number go up but this is episode 51 <laughs> it is <laughs> it is our one year anniversary and to celebrate that fact we are looking at a very strange piece of doctor who history yes with it's- very strange indeed yeah with doctor not, who not, not as the- strange as canine the australian show at least canines like kind of connected uh this this is like in a pocket universe and it is of course doctor who and the daleks from 1965 uh this film uh originally came out on monday august 23rd 1965 which at the time of recording was 56 years 8 months and 15 days ago uh, there's some interesting stuff going in here now. So, yes. the cur- the U.S. president, uh, oh, would you have any idea of guessing who it was? It's been a while since we've done presidents. Yeah, you didn't ask me last week. It's because they've been they've been <laughs> they've been basically the same ones for a while. But I uh, I don't think we've had this one, or if we have, it's been so long I forgot. The only sixties president I can remember is I don't I don't even know if it's a sixties president. Is it Nixon? It's not Probably Nixon. Not. No. Um, Nixon, I think, was the 80s. I think um, it was the 70s. Maybe the 70s. Uh, Kennedy yeah. was the 60s. And then yeah. he gets shot in the head. <laughs> and who takes over? That's right. Lyndon B. Johnson. Uh, uh, speak, speaking of Kennedy, poor old Kennedy missed all the Doctor Who episodes. He died the he day did. before Doctor Who came out. Poor yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe the reason Doctor Who came out was because he died you know he had to die for the show to go on although uh i was thinking about this earlier i meant to mention meant message you this but i i, I completely forgot 
Uh, Winston Churchill died about two years after Doctor Who started, which and he was born in the 1800s. Jesus uh, people in the 1800s got to enjoy Doctor that were born in the 1800s lived long enough to enjoy Doctor Who, and that is just insane. You know, that's two centuries ago. Somebody born yeah. two centuries ago <laughs> enjoyed the same TV show I'm watching now. Uh, <laughs> you know, very, very weird. You know, someday we'll be like, oh yeah, Doctor Who is it, Doctor Who is still out in the year 2121. Like, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Do- Doctor Who is going to be around forever, man. Yeah, very, very strange. But uh, Lyndon B. Johnson seems like a very interesting man to me. He previously served as the vice president to John F. Kennedy, of course, taking over once John F. Kennedy suddenly stopped existing. Uh, (laughs) He was most famous for his civil rights legacy by signing Mm. in the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 65, and the Civil Rights Act of 1968. I took a little bit of a look into what these actual acts were. So, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 prohibited discrimination on the basis of race, colour, religion, sex, or national origin. The Voting Rights Act of 65 prohibited racial discrimination in voting. And the Civil Rights Act of 68 prohibited discrimination concerning the sale, rental, or financing of housing based on race, religion, national origin, and sex. Uh, So, of course, this is, you know, the big civil rights movement in the U.S. Uh, You know, Johnson really shouldn't get much credit for signing these into law. You know, he was obviously the man that did it, but the civil rights movement was very much a grassroots movement from the people than it was for the, you know, bigwigs up in Washington. I'm sure, given the choice, he would have not done this unless he you know thought everybody thought it was a cool idea uh but it's cool that he did it and it's an interesting part of history and it also stopped racism altogether they did fix it they they did fix it in the 60s that is true they they did completely fix it uh the uk prime minister uh you will never guess in a million years because we don't really fetishize our leaders of public office like the u.s Mm. do we've had so many prime ministers and i think i can name you like five uh but the the uk prime minister at this time was a man called harold wilson and he uh represented labor he was the prime minister of the uk twice uh from october 1964 until june 1970 and then again in 1974 until 1976 uh so that's just an interesting little thing and the wilson government oversaw significant societal changes inside the united kingdom they abolished both the capital punishment theatre censorship, decriminalised male homosexuality in England and Wales, uh, relaxed certain divorce laws, and uh, introduced more liberating abortion laws. Uh, And also, during the midst of doing all of this, he called a snap election and won even more seats in Parliament. Uh, (laughs) It was... He seems like a very interesting man. Uh, I looked into, because, you know, the, you know, capital punishment is obviously killing criminals. Uh, decriminalization of male homosexuality is pretty self-explanatory. The only thing there that confused me was theater censorship. I was like, what is theater censorship? And it turns out that for a very long time, the only plays you could show were plays that were approved by a government body. 
uh, and it, it meant that a lot of plays didn't get shown, and there was this yeah. one play that was mocking Nazis that got banned <clears throat> and wasn't allowed to be shown because it was like showed that the government wasn't doing well for its people or something like that. Uh, and the getting rid of this theater censorship law allowed basically freedom of the arts, so you can make a play about anything, uh, which is you know good stuff, excellent. Uh, the sixties yes. was a time of social liberation, uh, you Sounds know, like it, yeah, which led perfectly into the 70s which was a time of dystopia uh, like, <laughs> you know followed swiftly by the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s it was all downhill really uh which is it was pretty interesting the number one song in the u.s and the uk is the exact same song and you will get extra big brownie points if you can guess what it is it's a song i've heard of before and you will know it when you hear it the only 60s band I can think of is the Beatles, so I'm going to say the Beatles. It is not the, it. It is not the Beatles. Uh, it is I Got You Babe by Sonny ah, and Sure. I Jesus. got you, babe. When I think of our song, I think it's from the 70s for some reason. Interesting. Ah, the, the music video I watched from Top of the Pops was in black and white. Uh, sure wow. is unbelievably old. <laughs> like, <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, uh, the most, the most, uh, the movie I think of when I hear that song is, of course, Groundhog Day, best movie ever. Yeah, it's a good movie. Uh, the number one film in the U.S. somehow wasn't Doctor Who and the Daleks, but it was The Sound of Music, which was number one for about three months at the box office. I don't think I've actually seen The Sound of Music. I haven't either, but I just know it got. It, 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 as the runtime increases, it's it, it, you get to see Nazis. <laughs> Surprise Nazis. Interesting. That's my favorite kind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, and now we turn our eye, you know, literally nothing else happened on the release of this day, uh, of the release of Doctor Who and the Daleks, so we turn our eye to history. And, oh boy, is it an interesting time in history. Uh, starting, uh, we were speaking about Capaldi before, with the year 79, as Mount Vesuvius begins stirring, and everybody goes, hmm, nothing to worry about, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mount Vesuvius, of course, being uh, at Pompeii, uh, don't don't worry about it. Everything's fine. In 1305, the Scottish patriot William Wallace is executed for high treason by Edward I of England in Smithfield, London. And then a few centuries later, there'd be a very inaccurate film uh, called Braveheart about it, which is a shame. I, I don't think I've seen Braveheart all the way through. It's not my type of movie. What I like about Braveheart is there's this really famous battle on a bridge. Yep, which and never happened. They, uh, they, no, they do it in a field in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a field. Uh, in 1617, the first ever one-way street opened up in London. Uh, in 18... Yeah, I know, long time ago, wasn't it? Uh, in 1850, the first US National Women's Right Convention convenes in Worcester, Massachusetts. And then we fast forward to 1921, and this is relevant for most recent news for us. The British declare a truce with the Irish nationalists Sinn Féin, uh, ah. which they're back in the news, having just won the Irish uh, Northern Irish Parliament and are calling again for a debate on a united Ireland. Uh, which making Star Trek's prediction of the future more accurate, terrifyingly. When was this? 1921. 1921, a hundred and one years ago. Yeah, <laughs> insane. Uh, yeah, uh, to the day, to, to to exactly today, one hundred and one years ago. Um, 
yeah, it's very, very, you know, history likes to repeat itself, doesn't it? Uh, oh but boy, yes, it certainly does. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's been and a it lot. Always, of... It always seems to be the worst parts we love to repeat as well. Hey, <laughs> you know, Irish unification could be a good thing. You know, get Maybe. rid of get rid of any power taking away from London is a good thing in yeah. in my opinion. You know, I don't know too much about Sinn Fein. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. I'm probably not. Uh, you know, I don't know their politics or anything like that. But you know. Big fan of Scottish independence, so Irish unification, why not? Let's do it. Uh, (laughs) uh, In 1974, uh, you were speaking about the Beatles. John Lennon reported seeing a UFO in New York City, uh, which is cool. I'd like to see a UFO. Uh, (laughs) It was probably a bird. Or a plane. You know, he's probably on drugs, looked up, saw a flashing light from a plane and went, oh my God, uh, the UFO. But I'd like to believe uh, in 1966, Osama bin Laden issued a message entitled a declaration of war against the Americans occupying the land of the two holy places. And people just weren't that worried about it. Nothing, nothing, nothing coming up. I'm sure nothing came from out. <laughs> no, no, easy peasy. And then the most recent news we have, 2005, Hurricane Katrina starts forming over the Bahamas, later becoming a Category 5 hurricane. Uh, I vaguely remember Katrina. I remember watching like stuff on BBC News about like all the flooding and damage it caused, but I was five years old when Katrina yeah. hit, so it's it's like the vaguest of memories for me. Yeah, it's the vaguest of memories of me as well. I just remember thinking B- uh, Mr. Bean was going to be on. And I watched, uh, I turned over to ITV and suddenly, oh, there's this hurricane. It's a weird episode of Mr. Bean. <laughs> uh, yeah. Actually, that's a good, that would be a good episode of Mr. Bean. So Mr. Yeah, Bean causes a hurricane. A hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that is, that is all I've got. Flash forward from 2005 to 2022 and hit podcast Who Watches Who covers an episode of Doctor Who and the Daleks. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. yeah, Doctor Who and the Daleks. Uh, firstly, did you ever see this movie as a kid? I saw a wee clip of it. I think it must have been on Sci-Fi or BBC or something like that. Uh, and I would have clicked on it because Doctor Who and the Daleks. I was like, what's this? Doctor Who? Oh my god. I remember clicking on it and it was a bunch of people <laughs> sitting around in like the woods. Yeah. And, then, and, then, and then they were like, Doctor Who? Doctor Who, Doctor Who, they kept calling him Doctor Who, and he clearly wasn't any of the Doctors I was familiar with, like yeah. any of the classic Doctors or any of the modern Doctors, and I was like, what is this rip-off Doctor Who show? And then I turned it off. Uh, yeah. that, is, that, is my, that was my experience with Doctor Who and the Daleks. Yeah, the first time I watched this was in 2006, it was a few days before um, Season 2 started, you know, uh, the one with... Uh, it, What's his name again? David Tennant. The, oh the, the most famous one. <laughs> like, if you think Doc, if you say Doctor Who, the one everybody thinks of. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was a few days before David Tennant made his proper debut as Doctor Who and he wasn't going to spend the entire episode in bed. And I was like, oh my god, Doctor Who's going to come on. And obviously, the BBC were like, oh yeah, we've got to advertise this somehow. And then we decided to put on not an old story of Doctor Who, we put on the movie. And I was like, what the hell is this? How is he human? But I had an ear infection and nothing else was on TV that day, so I just watched it anyway. Wow. And I, you were a I lot like Ian in the movie. <laughs> I don't, I don't, that, I don't that'll make sense later in the podcast for listeners. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think I liked the movie that much. It was more of a oddity, like an 
odd fascination I had with it rather than something I actually enjoyed. Yeah, I, I didn't like the movie that much uh, watching it now. Um, spoilers yeah. for my opinion on the movie, but uh, yeah, it's you know I I didn't I didn't understand it back then. Now I understand it, and I just didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, it it's it's certainly an odd. It, um, it's it's an interesting of piece past. of Doctor Who history. It's a very strange certainly piece of is. Doctor Who history. And it's kind of like an important piece, kind of. It's the first time we saw the Daleks in colour. It's the first time we yeah. saw ev- everything in colour. It's an oddity for sure. I think the sequel is a lot better, but we'll get to that maybe next year, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, talking about the Daleks, um, it's important to note the ratings of Doctor Who when it first came out. So An, an Earthly Child aired on 23rd of de- uh, November, 1963, of course, the day after John F. Kennedy unalived himself. Well, he, well didn't he, didn't, he didn't do it himself. himself. <laughs> that's that's a whole different conspiracy theory. Uh, <laughs> I was but pretty yeah. sure it was the FBI or the CIA that did it. Uh, no, I God. mean, no, it wasn't. It was an assassin. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, on that day, the first episode of Doctor Who got 4.4 million viewers, which is not great for the time. You know, for the time, it's pretty bad. For modern yeah. day, that's like what we get nowadays, isn't it? You know? Yeah, for the time, it was bad because there was literally only two channels. Channels, mm-hmm. or or actually just one. I can't remember when BBC Two started, but yeah, just one or two channels, which is so part of the country had power cuts, and another part of the country is like, holy shit, I am so depressed over the news of John F. Kennedy dying. I just can't watch TV this afternoon. So the BBC decided to repeat episode one the following week, and it got 5.9 million views, as did episode two which was decent ratings, still not great. And then Unearthly Child Episode 3 got 6.9 million, nice. Uh, episode <laughs> 4 got 6.4 million. And then the Dalek started. Dalek Episode 1, 6.9 million. Dalek Episode 2, 6.4 million. Now, of course, Dalek Episode 2 is the first time we actually saw the Daleks in full motion. And surprise, yeah, surprise. Episode 1 ends in that cliffhanger. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And surprise, surprise, the next episode shot up from 6.4 million to 8.9 million. So obviously the Daleks was an overnight success, basically. Uh, it was a word of mouth. you got to see these Daleks. They're so scary. Yeah, so episode 3 aired the 4th of January, uh, 1964. The ne- obviously, people are going back to school. Everybody's talking about Doctor Who at the kids' play- playground. And episode 4 got 9.9 million. I mean, the last three episodes of the story got 10.4 million. So obviously, shooting up from 4.4 million to 10.4 million, that's massive. Yeah, you know, I think if we didn't have the Daleks, we wouldn't have Doctor Who. Yeah. Like, like 4 million back in the 60s, that's you're getting cancelled real soon. Yeah, you know, uh, but the, yeah, the Daleks are the reason Doctor Who's still going, you know? Yeah, yeah, it it, it made the show more popular. Like, they, I, I believe I've heard report that uh, people saying that Doctor Who would have gone off the air in the 13th episode. So that's the edge of destruction with that odd two-parter where Susan tries to stab everyone. Mm. <laughs> Do you remember mm. that one? Uh, very vaguely. <laughs> but yeah, obviously the Daleks were huge and an overnight success for the show. And yeah, yeah, obviously it was perfect material for the for the movie screens. I wonder. So, I wonder if if we didn't have the Daleks, if Doctor Who would kind of be like Blake Seven, you know, where some people are 
huge fans of it and then most people like just don't really know what it is and it's just this weird old sci-fi show you know yeah without the daleks doctor who would have been just junked you know every episode would have been erased from existence nobody would have looked yeah. for anything it was only 13 episodes it would remember. be yeah it would it would history. just be uh, it would just be a thrown away cheap sci-fi show that filled a slot for a few weeks in the 60s yeah. like yeah so it's, it's it's yeah it's just crazy to think of how the Daleks just made Doctor Who Doctor Who, and of course the guy who made the Daleks is Terry Nation who started as a stand-up comic and he was told the jokes are very good. It's just you who's not funny, which is <laughs> rough. That's amazing. <laughs> what an insult! Oh my god. So then he obviously eventually found his calling was for script writing, so he initially wrote for comedies, and he was eventually approached for Doctor Who and was very insulted to be asked to write for a kid's program. But obviously he needed the money, so he was like, I'll, I'll do it anyway, I guess. Um, so he wrote the story based on his childhood during the Blitz and based the Daleks on the Nazis, pitching them as faceless authoritarian figures dedicated to conquest racial purity and complete conformity see, if you, see if you, you say if, you say that they're based on the nazis <laughs> but they're like squid aliens on a different planet so how yeah, could tot- they be even totally remotely? not political at all no do- it, it, doctor who's not based in politics it's a sci-fi show and when has sci-fi <laughs> ever had anything to say about current day problems yeah so our story of how the movie got made doesn't actually start in like a Hollywood production office or any kind of that. It actually starts with merchandising. And uh, so Walter Tuckwell was an Australian man who lived in London. He was a toy entre- entrepreneur and he saw the Daleks on TV and he saw the mer- mer- merchandising potential. And the BBC at the time did not have any products on the market. It was which a is- regular old George Lucas. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the BBC told Walter, firstly, no licenses, licensing procedures existed to cater for such a request. And secondly, he was told to forget the idea as the Daleks will not be returning in the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, cut yeah, forward the... to November 1964 and the Daleks were back. Yeah, and then cut to every single year, basically. <laughs> you know, the Daleks always come back. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Walter eventually got in touch with Terry Nation and Walter helped him get 50% ownership of the Daleks and Terry was happy to give Walter the rights to make merchandise which began appearing on the market by Christmas 1964. Daleks were everywhere in books, animals, battery toys, construction kits as well as other TV shows and the only thing left was actually films. So yeah, it's it, so I think part of this is what led to the K- K-9 being owned by bob baker and which led to the australian k9 yeah, show yeah so yeah small things happen for good reasons it's that butterfly effect isn't it you know <laughs> this tiny little change ends up echoing throughout history and then made then obviously made the impo- most impactful show in television history k9 the australian series <laughs> the world's a different place for it <laughs> So the movie studio that made the Doctor Who and the Daleks is Amicus Films, which means friendship in Latin, and it was founded by Milton Sabotsky and Max J. Rosenberg, who were both New Yorkers. Sabotsky started writing army training films for the government during World War II and eventually crossed paths with Rosenberg, who was a movie distributor. 
Uh, the pair worked on The City of, of the Dead in 1960, which was a very successful horror film, and they decided they should build their own studio in the UK in 1962. And I presume they chose the UK just because the UK film industry was kind of like Huge. nothing at the time. Or it maybe it was nothing. It was kind of nothing uh, compared to Hollywood. I, it's, you know, it's interesting. Maybe it's cheaper to film in the UK or, yeah. you know, we were unionized a lot before, sooner than Hollywood was, though. So maybe it's not. Maybe it's a tax thing because, you know, that's what Star Wars ran into in 77. Yeah. Uh, you know, because they shot that in the UK and uh, they had ran into a lot of issues with unions and, you know, everybody's got a tea break, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, sort of deal. So I, I don't know why anybody would shoot in the UK over the US. Must be a money thing. I don't Bro, know. That's what I'm thinking. You know, yeah. yeah. Must be. But Amicus films at the time was known for moderate budget films that were usually successful. They're basically like the Blumhouse pictures of the time. And they primarily primarily made horror sci fi films that were often mistaken for hammer horror due mm. to their visual styles and use of the same frequent actors, notably Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Uh, the main distinction that Hammer made is that Hammer made Gothic period films, while Amicus were usually set in the present. Uh, are you familiar with Hammer films at all? I am familiar with Hammer films. I don't think I've ever seen a whole Hammer film to its end. They are on BritBox, or at least they were. Yeah. Um, maybe check one out at some point. But, it, you know, that old, old B-movie horror, real hard to watch. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've seen a small handful of Hammer films, and I, I appreciate it. But I'd, I'd maybe watch it at, like, a film festival or, like, a cinema or yeah. something. But sitting down and watching it when there's so many other things to be watching. Yeah. Uh, so Amicus Films was responsible for films like Dr. Terror's House of Horrors, The House That Dripped Blood, Tales from the Crypt and Vaults of Horror, which actually starred a young Tom Baker just a year before he got the role of Doctor Who. Hmm. Or the Doctor, because his name isn't Doctor Who, but you know what I mean. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know that watching this film. <laughs> Uh, so Amicus Films eventually ceased to exist in the mid-70s. Sabotsky immediately wound up creating Sword and Sorcery Productions and began trying to get a live-action Incredible Hulk film off the ground, which never came to be. Um, a 1970s Hulk film would have been very odd. <laughs> it's uh, a bold choice to make in the 70s when, you know, you can't really do so much. I mean, you could kind of shoot it like a kaiju movie, but yeah. I feel like they would just shoot it like that eighties one, uh, yeah, the, the, the TV, show, yeah. the, the TV show, yeah, yeah, this, the TV show where it's just a guy in green paint who's slightly muscly. Like, <laughs> I've I've seen some episodes of the TV show. It's perfectly fine, you know. It's just a guy in a suit. He's not even in or, a suit, really. He's got he's, like he's makeup on. Green. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, he later wound up producing a bunch of Stephen King adaptations: Cat's Eye, Maximum Overdrive, and 1992's Lawnmower Man which was dedicated to his memory as he died in 1991 at the age of 69, oh. which isn't nice. <laughs> no, no, not nice. Yeah, um, people die incredibly young in the world of Doctor Who, apparently, because we talk yeah. about people dying at a young age all pe the time in the show. People also just died younger in the 60s. and stuff. You know, they were smoking, like, 50 cigarettes a minute. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> like my vague memories of Doctor Who. Does the Doctor smoke in this movie or no? I don't think so. I don't remember. Okay. I don't remember catching that. There, I remember one of the first episodes of Doctor Who in general. He just, just smokes, and that's the whole point of the plot. Is uh, the, the caveman thinks he's made 
fire by magic and he's like how do you make fire that's the whole plot of the episode one <laughs> i don't remember the doctor smoking in season one but it's it's fucking wild man i'll yeah. tell you that much yeah. <laughs> uh, so rosenberg found less success working as an uncredited uncredited executive producer in half a dozen horror films and uh, most famously of incredible melton man which you might be familiar with because red letter media just did that yes yes i am which, familiar with it due the to special red effects media. the special effects in that movie are insanely fun yeah they're they are they are the right side of schlock the special effects the film itself not really but the the yeah. the, uh, the effects definitely are i i just i just love 80s effects that's my jam yeah, I, I enjoy them as well. Uh, so Rosenberg had a semi-retirement between 1982 and 1997, only producing four films before retiring altogether. He passed away at the age of 89 in 2004, which is a respectful age. Yeah, not bad, not bad. Uh, so we're jumping back in time to talking about how Zabotsky actually got the rights for Doctor Who. So in the early 60s, Zabotsky took note that Hammer was finding new success in releasing family films, and he decided this was the perfect opportunity to get more cash. So he so he approached the BBC in awesome two, uh, awesome 1964, before Dalek's Invasion of Earth aired, and got in touch with Verity Lambert, who was the producer at the time, and he was interested in gaining rights for free Doctor Who productions. So he wasn't sure which Doctor Who stories he was interested in at this time. You've seen before... You've seen all these episodes. Uh, which episode do you think would make a good movie out of those first ten stories or so? Uh, I'm going to need a reminder on what those ten are. I, I think Marco Polo could have been a great movie. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's pull up the oldie Brit box and remind myself of what these ten episodes are. Because uh, I have seen them, but I don't know what they are off the top of my head. We've got an unearthly child. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. one of the cavemen. I know Unearthly Child, yes. Uh, the Daleks, The Edge of Destruction, Marco Polo, The Keys of Marinus, The Aztecs, The Sensorites, The Reign of Terror. Okay, right, let's see, let's see, let's see. Planet of the Giants and Dalek Invasion of Earth, which obviously got made into a movie. Okay, so it's season one and season two. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. So Dalek Invasion of Earth will take off because it's already been made into a movie. Yeah. Let's go for ones that didn't get made. Planet of the Giants, I think, could be a really fun B movie, kind of yeah. like a reverse kaiju sort of deal, you know, where we're focusing on the people and they're surrounded by the giant monster rather than the giant monster surrounded by the people. Uh, I think that could be fun. The story I remember being really boring. But, you know, if you gloss it up and stick in some fun effects, it could be more fun to watch because the, the episode suffered from it being Doctor Who. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, Unearthly Child, safe choice, but not yeah. the, not really the most interesting Doctor Who story. Uh, you know, it kicks everything off. But Yeah, for me, it's Marco Polo because that episode is completely lost right now and it's some set photos of that is in color and it looks amazing in terms of like how big the sets look and how colorful every, all the costumes look it's a really interesting production the sensor rights was an interesting one uh that had some fun sci-fi political drama that i remember actually kind of being into 
which was fun. Yeah. When you say Marco Polo, I just think of the Netflix show that's full of naked people. Um, I've, I've not seen Marco Polo, the Netflix show. I watched the first season and enjoyed it and then just kind of dropped off it uh, and couldn't get back into it. But it's fine. It, it was really yeah. trying to capitalize on the Game of Thrones sort of let's have nudity every other scene type deal, you know? Understandable. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, no, I, you know Marco Polo. I don't the Doctor Who story. I don't know anything about. But there, there's a fair amount of good stories that could be made into family pictures. But yeah, obviously he settled for the Daleks because you know the Daleks were the big thing about Doctor Who at the time. And Terry Nation sold the story for five hundred pounds, which is eleven. That's a lot of money. Pounds. That's, that's, a lot that's of eleven thousand yeah. pounds today, which is not that much considering you know eleven thousand pounds. Yeah, but you got to think, you know, £11,000 today doesn't get you much, but £11,000, you know, £500 back then gets you quite a bit. You could buy, like, three houses, probably. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so this was the first time Amicus had attempted a movie like this, and we needed a co-financer, soon finding Aru Pictures, or Aru Productions, which is, fair, which is the only sole credit on the film, in terms of, like, production studio, interestingly enough. Uh, the budget was placed at 1,800... Sorry. 1,000... 180,000 pounds, which is a little under 4 million today. And Sabotsky was a good economical worker. The budget was around a scale of producing a four-part TV story in the 80s. So, yeah, that's a, that's a small-scale budget, which is... Yeah, yeah. They, they... For the movie... Uh, <laughs> this is the movie that we're covering, yeah? Uh, yeah, yeah the, the movie itself... I don't think it ever felt super low budget to me. The only thing that felt low budget was the actual TARDIS. Mm, Everything yeah. else felt like it was definitely on a set, but it felt like it was a movie of the time. Yeah. Whereas the, the, the Doctor Who TARDIS just felt like they're, you know, around the corner of the shed with their lights st strung up on the wall. Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of the TARDIS either. It's, it will get into it's it. It's my least favorite just... TARDIS I've ever seen. Yeah, it's really fucking terrible. Uh, so the writer of this movie was Milton Sabotsky, obviously, and he condensed a three-hour story into 80 minutes, wanting to turn the seriousness into action and comedy. And yeah, it certainly up to the comedy elements quite significantly. Up to the comedy, up to the action, and really downplayed the political elements. Yeah. Uh, like... <laughs> yeah, part of the political elements was underused because... This was a U picture film and nothing too scary or anything like that could have been used in this picture, mm -hmm. which is kind of a shame. I would have loved a more political take on the Daleks. Yeah, the and screen. you know, it's the 60s, so PG films have nudity in them. We, yeah. we, we could have had nudity in Doctor Who, uh, but darn... <laughs> uh, who out of the cast would you want to see nude? Uh, that would obviously be Grand Moff Tarkin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Interesting choice. Uh, but yeah, uh, or a Dalek. Was... <laughs> yeah, Dalek nude would have been... We'll get into some of the Dalek nudity that was called. Dalek nude, best friends with Dalek sack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the director of this film is Gordon Fleming. He was born in Glasgow. Yes. 1934 it was chosen director he would later direct episodes of the avengers which is a sydney newman show he would create a doctor who obviously 
uh, Target, Emmerdale, and The Bill, and he worked until his death in 1995 at the age of 61. Oh, again, young again, way young too again. Young. I'm not, I, I, you know, I'm sort of a second guess wanting to work on Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> I kind of like the idea of living to an old man. I don't, I don't want to die yeah. in my 60s. <laughs> yeah, everybody just, uh, again, but this is people who were born in like 1934, yeah. Yeah. which is probably smoked as well. Yeah, reckon. and we're surrounded by it all the time, and you yeah. know, yeah, yeah. Working in the South States doesn't sound fun in general. Uh, so on to the production, the design of the Daleks. So because Terry Nation owned the copyright, he gave producers access to Ray Cusack's blueprint. And Sabotsky thought that five, at five feet tall, the Daleks were too short in the show and needed to impose on the actors. So we were given an extra eight inches and £4.5,000 were spent on the new Daleks. Can't say and, I noticed. Yeah, I, I, I just watched the first two episodes of the Dalek story the Daleks are fucking short like they're so short compared to William Hartnell it's shocking whereas yeah, I, I, I suppose thinking about it you know in the, the 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 TV show everyone's like jumping on the top of the Daleks heads and spinning around them and stuff like that whereas in the movie you know they have to reach up to grab its eye yeah. uh, I, I never actually thought about that the the size of them before uh, I think the large Dalek works I think it, I think it works pretty yeah, well yeah the larger Daleks certainly work and especially for the actors inside of them as well because they have more room obviously uh, so the new designs incorporate, incorporated chunkier wider bodies larger flashing lights in the head of the Daleks and it allowed the operators who were brought over from the TV show interestingly enough uh, more space even allowing them to stand if they wanted so yeah, um, apparently on the TV show they were constantly getting their sh- shoulders like restrained and they would come out of a Dalek suit just in p- agony, which does not sound comfortable. Uh, so yeah, the TV Daleks were milky white, which made them look metal in studio light. Uh, so the movie Daleks had to be technical with rank and file Daleks being blue, leaders being red and supreme Dalek being black. And I think the colour system is interesting because obviously it would be incorporated in the show later on. It reminds me of the Power Ranger Daleks. <laughs> yeah. That never came back, that dropped storyline. Um, uh, yeah. Those were kind of chunky Daleks as well. I kind of want them to come back. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah they were made taller as well because um, they had to match Karen Gillen's height, who was a taller companion. And yeah. Stephen Moffat was like, oh yeah, we need more imposing Daleks. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it, a shame that storyline just led to nothing. Yeah, um, I think they turned up in Asylum of the Daleks. They were just like background characters. It's very possible, but like they're, lit- I think Stephen Moffat literally said, "Yeah, we had a plan for them, and then we just decided we weren't going to do that plan anymore." Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, which which is a shame. I don't, I, I haven't seen the episode in forever, so mm-hmm. I can't remember if it's any good or not. But yeah. Yeah, so on set, it turned out the flashing lights were random on the Daleks. You know, in the TV show, it only flashes when the Daleks speaking, which caused big problems. And Gordon Fleming didn't know they had to match dialogue. So Mm -hmm. they altered the speed of the film in multiple scenes. Uh, They realised speeding up the film looked bad with speeds not matching dialogue. And Sabotsky was forced to rewrite dialogue to match the lights. Which sounds like a... A hassle. It really does sound like a hassle, but even watching the first Dalek story from 1963, the, the lights don't match the dialogue either, so it's not like it's a unique problem for this film. 
and they discovered they could not replicate the extermination effects from a TV show on yeah, electronic cameras. The extermination effects in this film are fire extinguishers. <laughs> they yeah, are. Which they're, I they're think not works. good. I don't like it. I did not like it. I much preferred yeah. the. You know, but the more modern one, obviously, of the electric zap, uh, it feels or like whatever they do, this kind of just like a flashing light, I think, in the original yeah. story. Uh, but the, them shooting out like this huge spray, uh, mm. t- to me, it didn't sell. Uh, what, what the danger of the weapon really? See, I can't think of any other alternative because they couldn't use laser effects as the machines used to create laser effects was only in America, and they couldn't afford. To like hire it for the day to get get over to America to impose that over the film or get the machine to UK. So yeah, we just settled they, on they could do is just cut around it. Never see a laser get fired. Just cut to close ups. <laughs> do flashing lights. You know, uh, be creative. Why not? Yeah, they they could have gone for like a machine gun kind of element where it goes pew 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 pew, and you just mm-hmm. see like flashing lights, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but the, it, it is what it is. I kind of like it. I don't mind. It's it. not the thing I hate the most in the film. Yeah. It's just one of the things I'm kind of lukewarm on. Uh, so the TARDIS, the rights to use the interior hums, whirs, and dematerialization sounds were withheld by the BBC. So everything about the TARDIS is wrong, apart from obviously it being a yep. police box, which obviously the BBC don't own the rights for because mm-hmm. police it's boxes a police box. existed. They were real at the time. Um, yeah. As we said, the the design of the TARDIS doesn't look that great. <laughs> yeah, it's really bad. Uh, the TARDIS not making the noise is the most upsetting thing I've ever experienced yeah. <laughs> in my life. I, it also just zaps. It doesn't like whirl and fade. It just yeah. goes, which is really jarring as well. The, yeah, the TARDIS has a lot of problems. One of them being they don't say the TARDIS. They just say TARDIS. They just go, let's get to TARDIS. Uh, which just, it sounds wrong, doesn't it? It just sounds yeah. gross. Like, and I don't know why they didn't just say the TARDIS. It would make more grammatical sense, I would say. I'd say yeah, saying let's get to TARDIS makes it seem like it's a person or like at least yeah. an AI and has thoughts and feelings and stuff, but like, it's a ship. The, like the tar- yeah, the TARDIS is a ship. It's like saying... Uh, let's, let's get to Titanic. Let's go. Let's yeah, go let's car. let's go car. Let's let's go to let's go in the let's go in car. <laughs> <laughs> let's go back to car. Like <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this film took six weeks to shoot in April 1965 and was released four months later in August. So that's, that's a hell quick, of a turnaround. Jeez. It's yeah. Again, this production studio made films on the cheap and just farted to them out a few months later it's just incredible. get them out out the door make it and out the door yeah yeah it's more of a factory than like an art form really uh so talking about the sets uh bill constable was the set designer and shepperton studios was used as the location they had two massive sets and it was the largest film stage in europe and one was obviously used for the forest of scarrow and the other was used for dalek city Orange plastics were used to simulate the metal walls of the Dalek corridors, and Sabotsky uh, explained, It's probably the world's first plastic set. It's all plastic, but it looks metallic. We used all sorts of new materials. So this is also 1960s, and plastics was just being used everywhere at this time. It's cool. I don't think I noticed mo- most of the set being plasticky. Uh, I think it worked pretty well. It, yeah, I mean, it's it's terrible for the environment, but yeah. it worked but, pretty you know, well. 
It's the 1960s and we haven't quite figured out how terrible it was yet. Or yeah. we did, or and they just completely they just, ignored they it. They just need to watch that episode of Doctor Who. Too bad they didn't have, <laughs> have that yet. You uh, know. Praxius? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, um, Doctor Who would make a big anti-plastic episode like five years later with uh, Spearhead from Space, the Autons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the cast, uh, the characters were obviously altered in order not to waste time in establishing background, and it was easier to make Susan and Barbara granddaughters and Ian a boyfriend, and the Doctor was made to be a human inventor, which, yeah, you want to talk about any of that? <laughs> uh, I really liked Susan. Uh, I yeah. think I liked her more than Susan on the show, because she was smart, she did things, and she, the Doctor seemed to like her, whereas the Doctor does not like Susan in the TV show. Talking about uh, uh, the Doctor actually liking Susan, this was apparently an on-set thing. Peter Cushion just loved hanging out with this little girl, because <laughs> he just felt like a fatherly role to her, and apparently the only condition he would have returned to the sequel is if she would return as well oh, which is nice really lovely yeah uh the doctor being a human him being an alien would have played nothing into the the film anyway and you're doing this mm. as a standalone piece so adding that he's an alien just throws in this curveball to the whole film that you don't really need um susan I mean, being also thinking about doctor in the 1960s especially during this time it he wasn't, wasn't even an alien yeah he, yeah it, wasn't 100 percent sure if he was an alien or it was yeah. ambiguous like most writers just thought he was from the future terry nation didn't even know he was an alien mm-hmm. uh you know, uh, Barbara being, uh, is she a granddaughter as well? Or is she just yes, a, like, she's yeah, a granddaughter. Um, I don't care. It doesn't play into anything. It makes, it does make establishing, you know, the relationship with the characters go by so much quicker. Like we're off onto yeah. the other planet within like 10 minutes of the film. Not even that, uh, Ian and, and being the seeing... bumbling boyfriend. Sure. Yeah. You know, I'm fine with all the changes they made. Honestly, I think they were, yeah, I'm, I, yeah. I like a younger Susan because she's written, to be like a child whereas in the actual show she was written to be like a child but she was way too old to be a child see yeah she was way too old to be a child susan in this film is written like a child but she's written also like a smart child you know she's yes. solving problems and she's figuring out solutions and stuff like that on her own and you can tell she's related to this super genius doctor dude you know yeah. Whereas they feel the like they're actually related. In, in the TV shows, you just kind of screamed all the time. She just she literally <laughs> she just screamed all the time. She was the scream girl. That was what she did. Uh, but yeah, Ian and Barbara being not school teachers, following around this little girl after school. Yeah, it makes it, it makes Ian and Barbara seem less creepy. Yeah, definitely. Ian is a lot less likable though. Uh, Yes, I've I've seen clips of this film in the last few years, and Ian just gets on my nerves a little bit. I haven't seen this film in ages as a whole, so maybe seeing it as a package would make more sense. Uh, but well, yeah, I watched it earlier today, and it is bad. Uh, Ian's yeah. the worst. He's the worst. <laughs> I hate Ian. Uh, uh, but anyway, let's go into the cast. Uh, Peter Cushion is obviously the Doctor or Doctor Who. He Doctor Who. He's in, Doctor Who. He yes. was born in nineteen thirteen. And died in 1994, and he had nearly a hundred films, over 50 television appearances, and many stage productions over his 56-year career. And he's yeah. most famous for appearing in 22 Hammer horror films between 1957 and 74, playing characters like Baron Frankenstein in six films and Van Helsing in five Dracula movies. 
His common co-stars were Christopher Lee and Vincent Price, and he was also famous for playing Tarkin in Star Wars, and he loved the role of Tarkin so much, he decided, he decided to get out of the grave and play it again in 19, <laughs> uh, sorry, 2016. Yeah, Grand Moff Tarkin. Um, <laughs> I, I think there's a clip where it is Peter Cushing talking about Grand Moff Tarkin, and he's like, oh, I play Grand Moff Tarkin in this film. What exactly a Grand Moff is, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, I uh, well, I expect it was some kind of giant butterfly, but... On the set of Star Wars, he wore, he wore slippers all the time, yeah, which beautiful. is one of my favorite so trivia good. pieces. Uh, yeah, I, you know, Grand Moff Tarkin doesn't do much in the films but he has a presence yeah. and that's entirely down uh to the performance absolutely amazing and of course you know sharing screen with christopher lee who would come in as count dooku yeah. uh in the prequels you know just that star wars hammer film you can really tell what george lucas enjoyed watching uh <laughs> yeah, one thing about star wars is he looks completely different to what he yes. looks like in doctor who in Star Wars, he looks like a very skinny old man. He's yeah, got an intimidating um, presence with that gaunt face, but in Doctor yeah. Who, he's like he's he looks relatively young for being grey haired. Uh, so I I believe he apparently lost his wife sometime before Star uh, Wars, and he just became incredibly ill and just didn't eat much, and the grief of his wife just kind of like t- ate away at him, kind of, and that's why he looks so old. Like mm. apparently, film roles were rewritten to make him. Not the father, but the grandfather instead, because he just aged that much. So, yeah, yeah poor yeah. guy. Yeah. Uh, so, Sabotsky said, We had to have a star name on the picture, otherwise we'd have no overseas sales outside of England and Australia where the series was shown. Obviously, Peter Cushing was like a worldwide guy. And I was like, I, I would say Peter Cushing. <laughs> Peter probably- Cushing, worldwide guy. <laughs> <laughs> say peter cushion was a great choice like he's the most recognizable guy and he's yeah very... yeah one of the things he's... that made me interested in this film was peter cushing as the doctor i'm like i want to yeah. see that i want to see peter cushing be the doctor please uh, so peter cushion later said being doctor who was among his favorite roles enjoying the popularity it gave him amongst children and saying it's the most heroic and successful parts one could play and therefore a reason for its long run of television so, okay. by all accounts, Peter Cushion was a lovely guy. and Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, so, playing Ian is Roy Castle, who was born in 1932. He was an English dancer, singer, comedian, actor, television presenter, and musician. So, quite the t- a, list of a real A real James Corden of his time. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God we finally avoided... Uh, James Corden as the fourteenth Doctor because I was yeah. kind of I wasn't worried but I was kind of worried. There was there was that that nudge in the back of your brain where you <laughs> went, oh, it could be, uh, but oh, uh, James Corden, dear God. <laughs> uh, so Doctor Who and the Daleks was only his second film, and his first role was a in the film Doctor Terror's House of Horrors, which was another Amicus films, who also had Peter Cushion, and his role in that film was a young jazz musician. And he he was a he was very talented at playing trumpet apparently for a jazz band. Uh, Regular old co- Bill Clinton. <laughs> God. He he played saxophone. Making the worst comparisons today. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> I didn't like Ian. <laughs> <laughs> so he was conscious about avoiding copying William Russell's performance, wanting to bring his own personality instead, and he was given free reign to do a lot of the comedy, which. 
as we said, is probably like one of the worst parts of the film. A lot of the comedy is, oops, I fell over. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a Jar Jar Binks of this film, isn't he? Yeah, but I, I kind of like Jar Jar, you know? What is wrong with you? Uh, <laughs> so Roy was too busy to do the sequel, so he got replaced by Bernard Cribbins instead, which do, which do is they, a better choice. I mean, Bernard Cribbins, of course, he's Doctor Who's grandpa, but do they reference his change in appearance at all? Or do they just pretend like he didn't change? What do between? you mean? So does he, is Bernard oh, no, Kerbins no, no. coming uh, in Bernard... playing Ian or is he playing no. a different character? Oh, okay. He plays okay. a different character. So they didn't yeah. They didn't recast Ian. They just brought no, in a different guy. Okay. Yeah, we just, re- we just replaced the actor and just made a new character instead. Uh, so Castle soon decided, soon decided that doing movies wasn't really for him, so he gradually accepted less and less movie roles, with his last per- acting performance in 1975's Legend of the Werewolf, which starred Peter Cushing, so he basically came full circle. And he soon turned his focus on being a television personality instead, becoming the host of a popular kids show Record Breakers between 1972 and 1993, and during his time on the show he broke nine world records for himself. And these, some of these records include fastest tap dance, 1,440 taps per minute, which is 24 taps per second, longest wing walk at 3 hours and 23 minutes. What's a wing playing walk? The same, playing a, uh, a wing walk is basically when you're on a plane and you're basically standing on top oh, of okay. the plane. Okay, 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 okay. He did that for 3 hours and 23 minutes, which is... Jesus Christ, I'd be scared. <laughs> And his other world record is playing the same tune on 43 different instruments in four minutes. So yeah, he was a very talented motherfucker. A quick man. Yeah, and he died in 1994 at the age of 62. Another young death. But yeah, probably the most talented person on this film, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And um, in the role of Barbara is Jenny Linden, who was born in 1939, and her most known role is playing the lead in Nightmares 1964, which was a Hammer horror film, and playing Ursula in Woman in Love, which is a 1969 film which she won a BAFTA for. Uh, she did a small number of horror films and spent most of her career playing bit parts in single episodes of TV shows and lead roles in TV movies and miniseries. Uh, she lost her... her her last acting performance was in a 1995 episode of Casualty, and she's still alive, which is good, and she's not really doing much these days. Which no, is she's probably enough. like 300 years old. So, <laughs> And her, our last actress of this film is Roberta Tovey as Susan. She was a child actress who had begun appearing in films at the age of seven in 1960, and Gordon Fleming came to her school in early 1965 looking for a perfect Susan, and chose his 12-year-old Roberta Tovey thinking kids would be more likely to identify with a child rather than a teenage ch- girl, which makes a lot more yeah. sense, I would yeah. say. Yeah, it works. And, you know, especially a teenage girl played by, like, a 29-year-old. Yeah, yeah, a 29-year-old in the 60s, so they look 42. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like... so surprisingly, Carl on Ford is still alive. Yeah. Which is... How old is she now? She's she's in her late 80s or early 90s, so, yeah, wow. we should really bring her back sometime soon. That Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Roberta Tovey found it hard transitioning from child actress into an adult actor, having bit parts few and far between, eventually retiring from acting in 1988. Uh, since then, not much has been heard about her aside from a few appearances at Doctor Who conventions and appearing on a BBC Radio 4 documentary in 2013, 
talking about her time on the sequel of Bernard Cribbins, which is lovely. Sorry, I'm burping. <laughs> uh, so the voice of the Daleks is Peter Hawkins, who was the voice of the Daleks in the Cyberman in the 60s. He returned for the film. And he was also in Doomwatch as a computer. Uh, Doomwatch is a show created by the guy who made the Cyberman. And he was in Rainbow as Zippy. And also in Gromit. He was also Gromit in Wallace and Gromit. Mm, that's cool. Which I, um, I don't think of Gromit easy, really having a voice. Yeah, it's, it's an easy voice acting role being Gromit, isn't it? You, yeah, like, I, oh yeah. Do you Gromit do anything? Is, Gromit does he, does he even a make a noise? Scene. I don't think so. Gromit's like remember. silent. That's like Gromit's whole thing. He doesn't have a mouth. Yeah, he doesn't. Like a, he just. How did he voice? Cro I feel like that was a, he got paid for doing something <laughs> that he wasn't supposed to be doing. Maybe, you know, maybe he does a good impression of a dog crying or something. Maybe, maybe he does like his voice acting. He got in the booth and he went like this. <laughs> you yeah, know, it, and, it, and then he just got paid a lot. You uh, just caused a lot of people to just look at their phones, <laughs> thinking, "What the fuck happened to my audio?" <laughs> Well, you know, I was just doing an amazing grommet impression. Uh, <laughs> um, but with... I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, the Dalek voice. Um, in this movie, I hate it. Uh, I like the effect. I think it's good. But every line of dialogue is spoken yeah. at <laughs> this speed. Yeah. And getting through the scenes takes forever. Yeah. And uh, I'm joking. Oh, I don't have anything else to say. Okay. But yeah. But yeah, <laughs> I think that's just the effect of the Daleks in the 1960s. We all spoke very slowly, which is... Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad we, Nicholas Briggs speeds it up a bit because otherwise I'd be falling off yeah. my chair to yeah. sleep. No, no, Nicholas Briggs does the best Dalek. Uh, so Peter Calkins sadly died of at the age of 82 in 2006. And David Graham, who was also the Daleks in this show, he was also known for Thunderbirds and Peppa Pig. Hmm. <laughs> Even being an extra in a Supergirl movie as a party guest. That infamous Supergirl movie, the sequel I, to the spin-off to the Superman movies. I don't think I... Oh, I think vaguely I know about the Supergirl movies. I, I don't really know much about them. Yeah, uh, so he's still alive today at the age of 96, which I wrote this like a month ago, so I hope he didn't die in that time. <laughs> he's as old as the Queen. He really is. Literally. How old is the Queen? 96. 96. Yeah. Damn, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so for, for the promotion for this movie was massive. Uh, in London, slash colour posters were placed along the London underground. Tours and expositions featured Vidalics. Lots of features in the press and cinema. Managers were given elaborate publicity kits with owners asked to display them in their windows and along their counters. A 64-page black and white souvenir book was sold for two shillings and a sixpence. It contained dot-to-dot -dot puzzle pictures relating to the film and gave children the complete story of the film written by Terry Nation. I tell you, an uh, undamaged, unspoiled copy of that is probably going to be worth at least something to someone. Yeah. yeah. Probably close to a thousand pounds, I would reckon. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so TV Twenty One, which was designed for Jerry Anderson's shows, which is like Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet, those kind of shows, it featured a ton of publicity, and we already had Dalek comics in the back page for like years at this point. 
and an entire issue was sponsored around a, comp- a competition giving winners, uh, giving free winners life-size Daleks for the movie, which is, I, I don't know if anyone actually won these, but those must have been amazing to get. Yeah. Um, as well as featuring an article where Lady Penelope and Parker for Thunderbirds meet the cast of the film, which is, a, I've read parts of this interview and it's really bizarre. Yeah, it sounds extremely bizarre. Um, also in the magazine, Woolworths sold, uh, sorry, Woolworths also sold Dalek badges and Cadbury showed readers how to make chocolate Daleks. This is the, the Dalek mania that the Blu-ray goes on to talk about, isn't it? Yeah, Daleks Dal- taking over. Yeah, the Dalek mania in the 1960s was comparable to Beatlemania, uh, Batman mania. Um, was there any other manias? Wrestlemania. Romania. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and there's even a song called Who's Who, written by Barry Gray, <gasps> the composer of this so film. So close sung- to the name of the podcast. <laughs> And it was sung by Roberta Tovey, who played Susan in this film. And it's, it's, a, it's a terrible song, so don't listen to it. <laughs> and the release of the film. The film was sold out at Studio One Cinema in Oxford Street before the premiere. And the film made its budget back within weeks. And it was in the top 20 British films of the year. So it was a big hit. Big hit and in the UK. Nice. Obviously, they had to green light a uh, sequel straight away which didn't do as well, and there was no more Dalek films made after that. And in America, this film did badly. There was no fan base, and Sabotsky placed blame on distributors for not giving it the same promotion as the UK. And, yeah, it's... yeah. I, I, you know, the sequel not making much money makes sense to me, because, you know, just looking at titles, yeah, the first film was called Doctor Who and the Daleks. Mm-hmm. The second film was called... Doctor Who and the Daleks Invasion of Earth 21 bloody it's too long and no one cares you get bored now, reading the title I'm pretty sure the title is just Dalek Invasion Earth 2150 yeah. AD which, yeah, yeah, yeah long title but yeah yeah no one cares you know 2150 <laughs> AD meh, who gives a crap that's too far away you know just Daleks Invasion of Earth that's all you need you yeah. like <laughs> But yeah, that's it for a little bit of trivia before the film. A little bit of trivia. It's an hour-long bit of trivia. What are you talking about? Uh, My throat is dead. (laughs) Yeah, but... We shall jump into the film. Right now. (laughs) Come with us to the petrified forest. Meet the Thals, the blonde giants who have survived the monstrous rule of the Daleks. We must get to the city. They could have scanners here. Anything. I'm going back. No, you're not. We'll all be killed. We'll never defeat the Daleks. Remember, we are watching you. We can destroy you. It's a trap. Go back. Run. These are the people trapped by the Daleks. Doctor Who, the brilliant science professor. The young man who triggered off this strange journey. The professor's frightened granddaughter. And the youngster who inherited her grandfather's adventurous spirit. (coughs) Doctor Who and the Daleks. Now you can see them in colour on the big screen. Closer than ever before. So close you can feel their fire. So thrilling you must be there. Stop the countdown! The bomb would 
Right. So uh, the film begins with the, you know, old timey way of having the credits first instead of at the end. Uh, so it's it's like a couple minutes of credits under some funky lights in the background while a, the theme song plays. And it's a it's a groovy. Th- it's not a Doctor Who theme song. It's a groovy 60s jam. Like, yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely unlike every Doctor Who theme song ever. But yeah, this is something I've had stuck in my head for like a few days after originally watching the film. Like, I just walked around the house going do 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 do. It's a catchy ass song. It, 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 it's it, you know, it's it's it reminds me. I don't know why I'm getting the vibe. I'm getting kind of like an inspector sort of detective '60s show from that from that theme. Not a time traveling sci fi movie is you know very much not sci-fi in any not even the instruments are using our classical sci-fi instruments it's jazzy you know yeah it's, it's, it's very bizarre for doctor but you know it's it, 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 it imagine if they got the ability to reconstruct the doctor who theme song with a full orchestra that'd be to... amazing it'd be amazing yeah. Yeah, but you know, the BBC didn't want to give the rights for some reason. It doesn't make sense why the BBC would just were like, "Nah, you can't use the theme song, <laughs> the iconic theme song." Yeah, they were really picky and choosy with what they could and couldn't use. You know, yeah, you can make a feature-length version of our most successful story so far. That's for sure going to get more eyes watching the TV show. But right. The, the TARDIS, nah, nah, that's kind of ours. And the music, ah, that's kind of ours as well. Like, you know, but there, yeah. <laughs> it's it's complete backwards thinking. I don't understand it. Yeah, but it, it, it's, it's an odd product of the era, I would say. I mean, the BBC is probably still like that even to this day. It's not famous for changing, yeah. is it? Uh, no. <laughs> but the film then opens up on the best joke in the film. It it yeah. genuinely made me laugh and made me go, oh, maybe this will be good. Uh, a feeling that left quickly after. It, it's definitely a um, joke that signifies it's the Doctor. Yes, yes. <laughs> this feels like something any incarnation of the Doctor would do. It's very much, uh, you know, a, a fits the personality of the Doctor. So to explain the joke, as all good jokes need, uh, we see... <laughs> We we open up on uh, little kid Susan reading a physics book. We pan across to Barbara reading uh, The Science of Science, uh, which is just a great title for a book. And then we finally land on the Doctor, who is, of course, reading a action comic. Uh, and he's finding it. I think he's got the line of, oh, it's just quite exciting. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be more specific, he's reading Eagle Boy's World, which is... A very Big 60s fan. comic Who's book, not a I fan of say. it? Who's not a fan of that comic? I love it. I love that. I've read every issue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we also find out that Ian is going to be showing up in a few moments. And the Doctor is like, who's Ian? And why is he coming to my house? Uh, because in this <laughs> incarnation, of course, the Doctor, Barbara, and Susan are all related. Uh you know because it saves on time um barbara's like I- i've told you about ian he's kind of like my my boyfriend you know he's coming around visiting and the doctor who either does not give a crap about barbara's personal life or is just extremely forgetful it's like oh okay cool ian's coming that's nice he will forget about ian in a matter of moments <laughs> he, he frankly does not give a shit about ian and there's more <laughs> in the film later on it's just 
There's a point where he gets Ian punched in the face, which is like, oh my god, Doctor, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> he I, just doesn't care about Barbara's personal life as well, I'd imagine. Yeah, you know, some some of Hartnell's personality traits bled over into this incarnation of the Doctor. You know, he, he's more caring towards Susan than Hartnell ever was, but his relationship with Barbara and Ian's basically the yeah. same. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah, um, this is certainly an absent-minded professor kind of doctor. Mm-hmm. He, he just he just cares about science. That's all he can think about at all times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there is a chap at the door, and Barbara goes, "Oh my God, he's here already! I have to go get ready." Uh, Susan, go answer the door, and Susan's like, "Okay, fine, I'll answer the door." She opens the door, and Ian. This is our first introduction to Ian, the comic relief, and he bursts everybody's guts into a pit of laughter <laughs> as he falls through the door and headbutts a clock. And oh, I hope you love slapstick because that's all he does. He just fumbles. He's just a fumbling fool. Yeah. So off camera, we watched about ten minutes of this film just to reacquaint ourselves with what's actually going on in film, and he probably has like. Five moments of slapstick <laughs> in like in like eight minutes the, of screen time. The entire is. plot starts happening because of his slapstick. Like they only travel uh, to the planet, which oh, Scarrow. It's not not Scarrow. They're on, is it? No, they're on. They're on Scarrow, but oh, it's yeah. not your name, Scarrow, in this film. Right. Yeah. Uh, they only travel there because Ian falls onto the terribly placed plunger that <laughs> makes the tart we'll get to the tardis it's the worst part of this film but um speaking of plungers it's like the only plunger in this film which is very odd because it's vitalis <laughs> <laughs> uh the you know the doctor goes to shake ian's hand and ian gives him a box of chocolates by mistake because of course he's a bumbling fool and it also it leads to another pretty good joke where the doctor's like oh my god you shouldn't have gotten me these chocolates that is so unbelievably kind of you uh <laughs> which is just great yeah if it, yeah it's another moment where it's like oh yeah this i can imagine any incarnation of the mm-hmm. doctor doing this yeah, yeah like um like um john pertwee with a sandwich in the sea devils yeah uh <laughs> but ian explains that no 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 of course the chocolates are for barbara and he goes on to say that they are soft shelled uh which is something you should remember for two seconds time and also later in the movie get it it's foreshadowing uh where the doctor weirdly puts the chocolates down on a couch and then he tells Ian to sit on the couch, and so Ian, being blind, uh, sits on the couch and sits on the chocolates, crushing them, and, oh, they're soft shells, so all the chocolates are ruined. Uh, and then Ian gets up again, and he goes to sit on another couch, and the doctor's like, whoa, wait, don't sit there! And I honestly thought they were going to do, there's another box of chocolates sitting on that couch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, instead, it's the doctor's left his sci-fi gadget there, uh, just... It gets a so. Who's the fourth sofa for? Because everybody has an armchair. The doctor has an armchair. Barbara has an armchair. Susan has an armchair, and then the gadget gets an armchair as well. <laughs> like... <laughs> I think I think it's just an armchair for an extra guest. But you know, we didn't. The doctor didn't expect Ian there, so he was like, "Oh yeah, I'll just leave us here because nobody's going to sit suppose, on it." I suppose that makes that's, sense. Yeah, that's not that's not an active seat in the house. There's also like other chairs in the background because this is a six days mm-hmm. living room, and there's a little dining room set up in the background. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is certainly a 60s house. The wallpaper is very fucking ugly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh, you know, the doctor and that then start, he starts explaining that it's a gadget for his machine that he's building called uh, TARDIS. And, you know, he's like, do you want to come see this machine? And Ian's like, yeah, I suppose. Barbara's 
been removed from the plot for now. Uh, so, so maybe I wasn't maybe I wasn't paying attention. But what exactly does this gadget do to the TARDIS? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. It, it so does. It does. It does the thing. It sci-fi's it. It sci-fi's it. I don't. Yeah, we 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 didn't understand. <laughs> it's a gadget. It does a blurp, and then the flourishing works. So, yeah, there you go. It's the blurt for the flirtion. Uh the, <laughs> the the doctor leads him outside to this very cute uh, garden. Be- before that, he also forgets uh, Ian's name. He which does. Another, another good show. joke. He calls him Harold. Yes. Which it, is interesting because it's usually his last name he forgets in the show. Yeah. It, it also leads to another good joke when he forgets it moments later when Ian's like, oh, no, it's Ian. And, he, and the doctor's like, oh, yes, Ian, of course. Right. And then he opens the door. And he's like, off you go. Yes, uh, <laughs> uh, which is uh, you know it's yeah uh, the 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 doctor is very quick with the jokes in this opening scene. They kind of don't happen as much as we actually get into the rest of the film. I didn't remember finding it as charming when they actually get onto the alien planet. You yeah. Know? So this like opening seven minutes is like completely original to the film. The rest of it. Sh- the rest of the movie is just basically beat by beat, mm-hmm. line by line, what happens in the show. Actually, uh, the Doctor does get some of Ian's lines, because obviously Ian is completely useless in this plot, but it's pretty much identical, apart from characterization. So yeah, yeah, there is not much room for other jokes for the Doctor here. It's a good start to the film, though. It, you know, It's almost as if they wrote their own original Doctor Who story. They'd have a much better time than just ripping off a pretty okay episode of season one doctor who you know uh but the doctor takes ian out into the backyard with susan and he's like look it's my tardis and it's a police box for no discernible reason other than my head canon is he just stole a police box uh <laughs> to, to build his machine in because he needed to build it uh susan gets the line of course time and relative dimension and space uh, which is what TARDIS stands for. Although in this film, they will refer to TARDIS as a name rather than like a possessive object. So it's like, let's get to TARDIS rather than let's get to the TARDIS. Uh, and it drives me insane because it yeah. it doesn't make sense. Let's get to horse. Let's go car. <laughs> uh, like, <laughs> Yeah, between them calling the TARDIS TARDIS and the Doctor Doctor Who, it's it's very distracting here. Yeah, it's... But to be, I, think, I think only Ian calls the Doctor Doctor Who, but still, it's yeah, really distracting. Yeah, but everybody calls TARDIS TARDIS. Uh, <laughs> nobody says the TARDIS once. But he's like, take a look inside, TARDIS. Uh, and Ian opens the door, and it's my biggest gripe with the goddamn film, is he opens the door correctly. Uh, he pulls the door outward, which is the way that the doors are supposed to open. Every incarnation of the TARDIS, the doors push in, which is, like, the defining theme of, you know, it's, it looks like a police box, but it's, it even doesn't get that right when the doors push inwards, you know? Again, I think, I think we've spoken about this before, but I think the pool uh, door to open refers to the actual telephone box inside... That's what yeah, the label but, is printed over. Like the actual police box door, like in Doctor Who, they push it in in the regular TV show to open it all the time. It opens inwards, but here in the film, yeah, the door I'm, opens I'm, outwards, and that's what's driving me I'm, insane. I'm, I don't care if the, I don't care if it's okay. done right. I'm just saying, why didn't they make it push? Why did they all make it open outwards? You know, it's wrong. It looks wrong, and it's wrong. <laughs> like, 
it, it, it probably makes more sense for the actors trying to get in and out. You know, the door is like yeah. in the way. Yeah, it's because that's how that's that, that's how it opens in real life. You know, because if the door was to open like that in uh, real life, if if it pushed inward, you'd have no room in the box for the table and stuff that's in there. You know, it would yeah. have to open outwards. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he opens up the door. And we get our first look at the TARDIS. And I was excited to see what this TARDIS looked like. Yeah, because, you know, if we think back to the Doctor Who movie, it's the most beautiful TARDIS I've ever seen in my mm-hmm. goddamn life. If we even look back to season one Doctor Who, the TARDIS set is pretty impressive. It's it's mostly a big white room, but it's sci-fi-ish. It feels like it's a yeah. spaceship. You know, it feels like they're inside the TARDIS. Uh, and so Ian opens up and he steps inside the TARDIS and he's in a studio, a black walled studio with some lights on the wall. It's the worst and looking a- set I've ever seen in my goddamn life. There's like a million different colored wires. There's like a bunch of like balls. There's just crap around. And it what what's worse is it's clearly not filling all the space. Like there's clearly mm. space left in this room for all the studio people and cameras and sound and people to get around. So like it's like half of a studio. So you've got like one hard back wall and that's it. It's it's awful. It's 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 just let's stand in a room and talk. Yeah. <laughs> It it just looks like a shed, basically. It's, yeah, just it's just a shed with a black wall, and just it's very boring to look at. It's not designed well. Yeah, it's just oh yeah, let's put this stuff over here, and let's put this stuff over here. More wires over here. Okay, we're the, done. The only thing I can think is maybe they just didn't put the budget towards the interior of the TARDIS because they spend so much time on Scarrow, which is an amazing set. Uh, and yeah. compared to the TARDIS, they're in it like two, three times, and they're like, oh, well, it just doesn't warrant us putting in all this effort for something we're barely yeah. going to see. They're probably only using the TARDIS set for like an afternoon at most. Yeah. Uh, and there's, yeah. So th- that that would be a, a reasonable understanding, but stop being goddamn lazy. Uh, Ian steps out again, he walks around the TARDIS, and, you know, he does the whole, you know, oh my god, how's it going to be there? But he has the calmest reaction when he goes into the TARDIS again after walking around it. He's like, how have you managed that then? How did you figure out how to get <laughs> out that? That's pretty impressive. Yeah, He's so chill about it. And I'm like, dude. <laughs> like, yeah. Which I guess is a different... It was like, oh yeah, in the show, obviously the Doctor is an alien. Holy shit, he's got a spaceship. Whereas here, it's like, oh yeah, he's a scientist and there's he somehow made a box larger on the inside. That's interesting. It's very odd. How do you manage that? Yeah. Which, but it's still, which it's, is it's, two it's, different incarnations yeah. of the TARDIS. Like, like even if, if in like real life, I went, Scott, I've just invented something. <laughs> Come around to my house, right? Step <laughs> in this box. You step in the box, it's bigger on the inside. You're going to go, Jesus Christ, you've broken the laws of physics. <laughs> like, <laughs> You're not going to go like, well, that, Matthew, is pretty nifty. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you're going to have this earth-shattering reaction, not a, well, you know, that's pretty cool, but... Maybe he'd be more impressed if there wasn't a bunch of fucking shit hanging around (laughs) everywhere. Yeah, true. Like, maybe on the inside, he's like, holy shit, this place is a fucking mess. What the fuck are you doing, Doctor Who? This man is a hoarder. (laughs) (laughs) This man is like Chris Chan's mom. <laughs> uh, 
but Barbara suddenly appears in the TARDIS and she's like, I thought I'd find you in here, which immediately gave me like, they kill people in this room vibes. Uh, like, <laughs> like Barbara lures men to the house. The doctor takes them into this big mysterious TARDIS and then they murder them. Uh, it just, it was very sinister. Uh, and she's like, oh, it's so nice to see you, Ian. She gives him a big hug. And then Ian sits on this inexplicably not locked lever that makes the TARDIS move. Like it, why not stick it so you have to press down a button and push it rather than it's just you yeah. just push it it's so poorly designed but hey oh here we go but but also here do you blame barbara for the accident or you or do you blame ian i barbara uh, essentially I'll do you one better over. i'll do you one better i blame doctor who for not designing a better tardis and for not putting a lock on the lever I've been a fan of Doctor Who for 17 years, and I've been trained not to say the name Doctor Who. And yes. every time I have to say it here, I feel dirty. But just, just, just think to yourself, right? This is not the Doctor. This is alternate mm. timeline Doctor Who, where he's a human man. He is Doctor Who. Doctor Percival, that's his first name I'm giving him, <laughs> Who. <laughs> Dr. Percival Eugene Who. That's his full name. Dr. Percival Eugene Spencer Who. That's his whole name, okay? So that's just what we're going to have to call him from now on. <laughs> um, so so for the last two weeks, we've had news about the 60th anniversary. Could you imagine if Russell T. Davis turned around and was like, oh yeah, this is kind of like our multiverse of madness. We're going <laughs> to fucking meet Doctor Who, played by Chris uh, Peter Cushing, and he's going to be CGI. Yeah. That'd be amazing. That would be... <laughs> an interesting choice for them to make uh also because i'm sure it would be a big deal because i'm pretty sure disney just own peter cushing like <laughs> i'm pretty sure we do <laughs> uh which is what a terrifying time to live in yeah yeah well it doesn't bother peter cushing i guess he's dead um <laughs> but the you know the tardis starts moving and the doctor who uh is like oh you've you've set off the tardis for and i don't know where it's going this is quite exciting, isn't it? Which, again, he's the Doctor. It's showing the Doctor's personality through. I think he does it, you know, he's kind of like a mix, I think, of the first Doctor. There's a bit of, you know, obviously it's before Back to the Future, but I get Doc Brown vibes from him. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Rick, if he was less drunk from Rick and Morty. It's sort of just a regular mad scientist, you know, is, is how he's playing it. Yeah, Doctor Who is a mad scientist who is excited about exploring the universe, whereas in the TV show, the Doctor was an old man, a cranky old man who kidnapped these two teachers, <laughs> and I was like, I'll just kidnap you, I'll take you to wherever we go. He kidnapped I'll, I'll these fucking... two teachers and then hated them the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, he, and he goes off and tries to murder cavemen, and yeah. Uh, at any, point he, at any point, he could have taken them home. No, 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 no. <laughs> they chose to... Yeah. To be fair, the teachers did stalk his granddaughter. To be fair, but they were worried about her for good reason, like... Yeah, I suppose. I, I, I mean, I don't get why she, she went to school in the first place, uh, but as soon as we start because pulling... Actually... As, as soon as we pull that thread, the entire show unravels. She she went to school because she wanted to learn about Earth culture and all that shit. She wanted to blend in with the humans, whereas the Doctor was like, oh yeah, we're just going to stay in this fucking bin. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we were, just a fucking bin. Uh, they're in like a, they live yard. in like a shed, don't they? They live in like a big shed. Well, it, 
They live in a shed and in the junkyard. Imagine yeah. the fucking smell. I know the TARDIS is massive, but imagine over time it would just smell like shit. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the film <laughs> continues as they open, uh, they land on Scarrow, but not named Scarrow, Mysterious Purple World. Um, and they all step out of the TARDIS and suddenly the film becomes beautiful. Like, they're, they're, obviously this is very early colour film. So they are just yeah. they are just sticking color everywhere because they're like, oh my god, look at this new technology we have. Look at all these colors, and it is just stunning. It looks amazing, and I cannot wait for that 4K remaster to come out because it's gonna be yeah. like absolutely amazing. It's so incredibly sad we are not looking at the 4K right now. It's it's yeah. like, oh my god, could you not have just released this? I know, a couple like of just sooner? just a month or two sooner, please, because <laughs> we're. I mean, I'm looking at it in 1080p, and I'm like, yeah, it's nice. Yeah. It's it's very pretty, but in 4K, it would just be just stellar. Yeah, no. Uh, but they they start exploring around this this new mysterious woodland a bit more, and this is basically where it just becomes classic Who where like almost shot for shot at one point where uh ian is like stops in the woods and he's like oh my god and then we get a, a close-up of a statue and then barbara's like oh my god and then we get another close-up of the statue and then the doctor comes over and then he goes oh my god and then we get another close-up of the statue uh like even down to the pacing of that crappy crappy setup it's like straight out of classic who and then of yeah. course ian falls on top of it because what else is ian gonna do and he, he showers it and they're like oh it was a statue the whole time even though it was clearly a statue to begin with i think we spend as much time in the forest here as we do in the first episode of the dalek storyline because if you remember in the original dalek storyline they've wasted a bunch of screen time with uh, the doctor's willy wonka food machine love it <laughs> but yeah um yeah but a lot of this is just paced like the tv show that's what you're saying yeah 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 uh and then um susan finds like this this flower and the doctor's like, oh, look, it's this super rare, interesting flower thing. And then Ian takes it off Susan. He's like, yeah. And then he crushes it dead, uh, throwing it back at Susan. I think when the statue shows up is when he does that. Uh, so we're, we're, we're back a scene there. But yeah. he, you know, he just, it's just, Ian's the worst. I hate him. Um. So yeah, the flower is a Lilium philadelphicum. That's what I said. Is... Fancy flower. <laughs> <laughs> so in this... In the script, apparently, it was just going to be like, oh, look, a flower. But Peter Cushion was like, nah, let's just make this little girl say something complicated. So he phoned, like, a flower, fl- flower place or something. It was like, give me the most complicated name for a flower ever. And he came back with this, <laughs> just to torture the little girl. <laughs> Excellent. Love it. Uh, <laughs> and then... Uh, where, where are we? Where are we? They discover the city, don't they? So uh, the doctor pulls out some binoculars and he's like, oh my god, Susan, oh my god, Susan, come look over here. Uh, as we look out in the distance and see this spectacular city glowing uh, and Susan's looking at it, she's like, oh my god, we've got to go visit this thing. Meanwhile, Ian's having an existential crisis and is like, oh, well, <laughs> I, I don't think I can do that because I've got to get home. You know, my, my, my people, my family are going to be worried about me. Uh, at which point uh, I was like, you're in a time machine. You're in a time machine. You have a time machine. You are you have a machine and, and that travels through time. You, you're you not going to be late. <laughs> you have a time machine. A time machine. And also, he was going to spend this time on a date with Barbara. Like, 
don't yeah. make excuses well, now. Why are they like, gonna oh, think, yeah, yeah, my family needs me. Yeah, no, no, you're on a date. Maybe it's went really well. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and also you have a time machine. Uh, so you can have an even longer date with Barbara. You stupid idiot. Uh, but yeah, the doctor's like, oh, well, if you say we've got to go home, we've got to go home. So everybody's sitting back down in the TARDIS and kind of chilling out. Uh, did they try to go? Yeah, did they try to go home first, or does the knocking come first? Remind me. Um, they try to go home. F- Actually, the knocking comes first. Yeah, yeah. So but first, 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 uh, Susan's terrified because she felt something outside, and we're like, "Oh, oh my God! There's nothing outside, Susan. There's nobody outside. You've been on this planet for like five seconds." How do you know if there's life on this planet? What I don't understand about the blocking here is they were, you know, or at least Ian and that, they were in such a rush to get back home because he's going to be late for whatever reason, even though it's a time machine, don't worry about it. And they're sitting down. Now they're they're sitting down. The doctor's in a rocking chair. You know, they've, they're like, oh yeah, let, <laughs> let's go back home. Oh, but first, let's all just sit down for a minute. You yeah. know, really just appreciate the moment that we had. We were on an alien planet today. That is pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, a, a chap comes at the door, a knock, and uh, they're like, oh my god, somebody's outside. Let's check the scanner. The doctor gets up and looks very confused as to where he's supposed to go. And he's like, uh, um, presses some buttons and then walks over to a TV. Like, it's very much like he didn't know his way around this tardis which is fair enough it's terribly designed you know yeah. <laughs> like having yeah, there's like wires there's fucking wires sticking out of everything it's like mm-hmm. how many wires do you need in the tardis uh, uh, that many uh <laughs> you know uh but he he looks outside the scanner we see this camera pan back and forth and we're like huh nobody's here oh well guess it was nothing let's go home and uh, Ian presses on the, the lever thing. They're like, hey, Ian, you get to do the honors. Press the lever. He presses the lever. And, oh, my God, would you believe it? Nothing happens. Oh, gosh. Uh, which leads the doctor to be like, why did nothing happen? He finds out that the mercury thing, the, the thing with the mercury has no longer mercuried. And we need to get more mercury. Uh yeah, but this is season. This is kind of like season one. Tardis is like, oh yeah, we need this to work for Tardis. We need a lot of this. We need this. We need this. Whereas nowadays, it's like, oh yeah, we just flip the switch. Magic. That's what we really need to do. <laughs> like, when was the last time we talked about the Mercury needed for the Tardis? I think the last time they spoke about any actual inner workings of the Tardis was Journey to the Center of the Tardis. When like its engines Probably, like yeah. when its engine is like the die like the black hole of a dying sun or something, you know. Mm. Uh, but you know, uh, and the whole Mercury storyline in this film plays into nothing. It is just the 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 thing that pushes the plot for them to stay on the planet. Whereas in the TV show, it actually leads to the really interesting conflict and character work for the first Doctor and the companions. You know, with the first Doctor says they need to get this Mercury and they have to look on the planet because well he, he doesn't have any on him. When in reality he has Mercury on him the entire time, yeah. which plays into later on when they find out that the planet is full of radiation and they're dying and it's like this was avoidable but you chose to get us almost killed because you wanted to satisfy your curiosity doctor whereas here it's just like oh oh the oh, spaghettios the thing's broken isn't it you know we've got to go out and fix it yeah you know it's it's something yeah. i think the, the the tv show actually did better than this film uh, yeah 
I I think this film could have worked better if it's like, oh yeah, the Mercury really did run out. I, I yeah, because here it's, in the TV show, it's, it's to make the Doctor appear as like an asshole. Basically, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's a character arc for him to gradually soften over time and become a good person. Because he was an asshole in his first few episodes. Oh yeah. Whereas here, it's like, oh yeah, I, j- I, I it's in my pocket because I I just wanted to explore. It's that's what he tells Ian later on. It's like. Okay, but still, there needs to be consequences to you. <laughs> just not put, just put it in your pocket. You need to have consequences, Doctor. Yeah, you can't just put these people at risk. Uh, but they all they all go outside, and there's some shenanigans with this wee blue box thing. Not the TARDIS, haha, or TARDIS <laughs> should I say? Uh, that's sitting on the ground. Ian's like terrified to pick it up. Barbara's not helping. She's like, don't do it, you'll die. Uh, and Susan's like, shut up, everybody. She picks it up. And inside is some vials of liquid and pills, which radiation tablets, surely, is what I'm thinking they are. Off the top. I don't remember what they actually are. but Yeah, you know, I, I just watched the actual TV episodes. I, I think it's just for the radiation yeah that would like it's medicine to help with the radiation which of course the doctor doesn't take and he tells susan to put it back into the tardis because he's gonna look at it later when he's in his lab and it's like oh you've got rid of your only cure for this (laughs) you know you're about to suffer a very horrible death of radiation poisoning one of the worst ways you can go yeah which here is like the radiation in the the tv show they look fucking sweaty as fuck Mm -hmm. whereas here it's like oh yeah we're not really affected by it we kind of get over it easily yeah they're like oh god i feel queasy but don't worry about it uh <laughs> like it, like in like in the tv show the doctor essentially falls into a fucking coma because it's william hartnell and he, he, he needs, needs, he needs to lie week. down yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh but we then we then cut to suddenly they're in the city and the doctor covers this cut by going wow that was a steep walk whoo uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but again, 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 that's one of the lines just pulled directly mm-hmm. from a TV show. Yeah. It's also, yeah. Uh, and you know he's he's feeling a bit gassed as is Ian, and he's like, "Well, it must be the altitude. Take a deep breath in, <sighs> center yourself. Okay, we feel better now. Uh, take a deep breath in and just take in that all radiation. The radiation. <laughs> get it, get it in faster. You know, if if you can find something glowing, rub it on you." Uh, like, <laughs> eat it yeah uh you know and then we get comedy with doors amazing door comedy where the doctor and susan there's three doors doctor and susan go in the left door barbara goes on the right door and ian's left with the middle door uh which doesn't open and he knocks on it and he waits 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 and then eventually he goes he sits down and he waits and the door's open and then he stands up and the door's closed and immediately i was like oh well it's a pressure plate isn't it but ian doesn't understand this and then he sits down again the door's open he stands up and the door's closed and he sits down the door's open and then we're going back and forth with this it goes on a long time yeah, it, it, it goes on for like two minutes, maybe two minutes and a half. And it's like, the first time I watched this, I remember thinking it was quite funny. But yeah. when you watch it again, it's like, yeah, I understand the concept. It, it goes on way too long. It feels like a Family Guy sketch. You know, the sketch where he, uh, Peter Griffin's trying to pick up the frog in the box. And like he, he keeps on dropping it on the floor and it goes on oh, for like yeah. a minute and a half. Sometimes, it, you it know, I, like have, to, I have to be in the right mood for stretched out comedy where nothing's happening and that's the joke. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes it hits me right. Sometimes it doesn't hit me right. 
mostly this this scene hits me right uh you know i i'm kind of ill at the moment so watching it back right now i just wanted it to be over uh because i'm in <laughs> agony but you know other than that uh we it, it, it was fun but meanwhile while this is happening we're cutting to barbara walking through some hallways and it's hallways but eventually you know she walks through a door and she goes ah uh you know and that was where you said episode one ends uh is it it's yeah. episode two that we actually see a, a, the dalek plunger or is it episode one absolute uh, uh, episode one ends with barbara being cornered and we see the plunger yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how episode one ends but here they, they wait a while for the reveal of the dalek another thing about ian and the door scene is the pressurized thing where he needs to sit yes. down to open the door. Why is it there? What, the Daleks have no purpose for this. The, the, the Dalek, very the, the Daleks can't even get to it. Like, no. like the Dalek. These these versions of the Daleks can't fly, uh, and nope. they're they're very much the Doctor. Uh, it becomes a plot point. You stick something under their wheels, they just can't move. Like so, they are very much dependent on this. Uh, I think they describe it kind of like dodgems, like electrical's current on the floor. Yeah. So having this pressure point makes no sense. It's a terrible design, just for a joke, I guess. You know. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's it's stupid. It's very fucking stupid. It makes no sense. But uh, it's like, are are the Daleks retarded? Are the Daleks really dumb here? It's like they are supposed to be really smart, but yeah. it's like they just can't design this fucking city, can't they? Hey, I, I mean, maybe it was part of the design from before they mutated and they've just never been able to get through these doors and they're like, God, I wish we could get through these doors. <laughs> like, but the thing is, why is it there in the first place? Use a fucking key. Maybe before they mutated or, right, it happened halfway through a mutation. So at a certain point, because they used to look like regular people and then they turn into terrified little squid guys, right? So uh, presumably there's a middle mutation where they're giant squid people. And so at <laughs> a certain point, they could just press that button and stretch the rest of their body through the door. And it was like super cool. And it was the thing everybody was doing. And that's how, why they designed <laughs> it. And then, you know, but that mutation didn't last very long. And then they became the squid guys inside the Dalek suits. And yeah. You know, with a theory, I could imagine a lot of these squid Daleks just being cut in half because <laughs> the door fucking closes in on them. Well, maybe that's why it didn't catch on. You know, there's a lot of Dalek accidents. Uh, but Could you imagine if you're trying to open your front door and you had to sit in a thing and you had to put a thing on a thing to open your door? That's how I get home every that day. doesn't make any sense. That's how I get home every day. Uh <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, the, the doctor and Susan come back and they help to get through this door because they've heard Barbara screaming and they're, so they're looking for her. They walk through some hallways a bit and it's very pretty, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm kind of glossing over it because nothing plot-wise happens, but it is shot very, like, just the color, the colors is what's saving it. It's shot boringly, but the, the color is just astounding to look at. Um, and eventually... Yeah, the walls are very... Yeah, the walls look very nice. There's this weird plasticky mm -hmm. Christmas wrapping paper of just glued on to the walls for some reason yeah yeah i guess the, the daleks were feeling very festive or something dalek christmas that's what it is uh <laughs> and the uh eventually the doctor and that make it through to this war room it is this big like just topography off the planet and there's this geiger counter and all this science stuff 
And the Doctor's like, oh, there's a lot of radiation on this planet. Whoops. Uh, and then we get a pretty fun reveal of the Daleks where the camera pans back and they're completely surrounded by Daleks. It doesn't make sense logically because how did they not hear the, the nine or ten Daleks that surrounded yeah. them? But it, It's whatever. But here, uh, the Doctor finding the radiation Geiger is like, oh yeah, it makes sense because in the original show, the TARDIS actually scans for radiation, which never comes back into the TV show. Like, when was the last time the Doctor had to look at monitors to be like, oh, this planet has a lot of radiation? Here, take a lot of these pills. It and never happens. The TARDIS <laughs> has protective bubble that bubble protects. <laughs> but at the end at the end of episode four of the unearthly child they're like oh yeah Ch- susan check the counter and it's like uh, susan is like oh yeah it's all fine and then we leave the tardis and all of a sudden it's like danger alert but then like, they keep on like, going back it's like amy's but, pregnancy we're just like yeah. pregnant not pregnant pregnant not pregnant pregnant not pregnant <laughs> but then but then they keep on going back to the tardis and we never check this geiger again so i guess it makes more sense for it to be in the in the you know the Dalek city, it, it would, all, it, would make... also, it would make sense for the Daleks to be checking the radiation because obviously it's one of the reasons they mutated was this huge. Yeah. So they're like, oh my god, you know, we've got to figure out what's wrong with this planet. Uh, but the the Daleks come in, and the first time I watched it, I did not notice their fl- blinking lights, uh, probably because I wasn't paying attention. Uh, since you've pointed it out in the breakdown of the writing of the episode and watching it back now, it is all I can focus on is the stupid yeah. blinking lights that just are going off when no noise is happening. And, and then they, they did sync it up to the audio, but as we said before, it really slows down the pace when they had to match it to the blinking lights uh but hey oh I-, I like the daleks and this i think that the actual models of the daleks is they look awesome i think they look very yeah. very cool they look so much better than they did for the entirety of classic who <laughs> this looks like <laughs> yeah. proper metallic daleks whereas in the tv show you could just easily push them over you know which is how they defeat uh, them in uh yeah. the the the, Resurrect, the season uh, one resurrection of the Daleks as well. Yeah. You, uh, remember that bit where the, uh, Peter Davison yeah. pushes the Dalek out the fucking window? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder what uh, happens yeah, to those props, to, to those Daleks, because they wouldn't have just destroyed them. They're so big. I. So the rumor is some of them went over to the TV show, but I'm not sure when they went over to the TV show, or I can't really point them out. It's, it's very bizarre. I'm pretty sure some of the black ones wound up in like the Pertwee era, but I can't be sure. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, Ian gets himself killed uh, in this scene because the Daleks are like, come with us, we're going to arrest you. And Ian's like, ha ha ha, no. And he, I don't understand what his plan is here, but he decides to run at a Dalek yeah. and it just shoots him. And then another Dalek yeah, shoots him for good measure. And they're like, oh, well, don't worry, we set our phasers to stun, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which which is very odd for the Daleks because nowadays it's just like oh yeah we're just going to exterminate you <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. Like, just, when was the last time we disabled someone never uh, I can't think of a single time <laughs> that they that they, the only time I can think of them not zapping someone dead is when they sucked that guy into the plunger like <laughs> yeah which was like the only time we ever used the plunger. But here, yeah. uh, the Daleks, some of them have claws. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the claws? I like the claws. Uh, to me, it just it just remind me of that time where you see a Dalek that's got like a blowtorch. You know, every Dalek can be customized for whatever tool it needs. Some have claws, <laughs> some have plungers, whatever. You know, doesn't bother me. It's, 
It's like a Barbie. You just that one Dalek had a minigun in in yeah. uh, you know at New Year's. So customize your Daleks like a Barbie doll. Uh, <laughs> but the Doctor and that they they get led into a cell where they're like, boy, we sure are arrested. By the way, radiation poisoning is affecting us terribly at the moment, uh, which is, you know, whatever. It doesn't play into much for this film. Yeah, we open up a scene with Barbara being like, oh my god, thank god you're here. And it's like, Barbara, this means we're prisoners too. It's, It's not that good of a moment. What's amazing about Barbara at the moment is if you break down the scenes that she's done... She says, Ian's coming. Then she leaves. <laughs> and she comes back and they're on an alien planet. And she's like, oh, l- let's go to the city. And then she leaves everybody, walks down a hallway and gets arrested. And then she sits in a cell and somebody shows up and she's like, God, I'm glad you're back. She's, she's yeah. you know, and she's not a terrible actor either. She's just underutilized uh, massively, uh, which yeah. is a shame. In the original story... Barbara doesn't do much either, but she's, there's a moment where Barbara could do something, but we'll get to that, where there's a moment where Barbara could use her intelligence to do something that's, like, underutilized here as well. It's like, Barbara isn't a character. Susan is a good, a decent character here, but even her, in the original show, the, her her character arc was, oh yeah, she's really scared at the start, and then she be, becomes very brave. But here it's like, oh yeah, she's brave from the very start. Basically, mm-hmm. there's no character. She's, arc for she's her. brave to the start to the end. She's she's just the Doctor's fun friend. Like, and and in the TV show, uh, Ian is like he he gives this big motivation speech to the fouls, and here it's like, oh yeah, oopsie, I fall over. Yeah, that's <laughs> his storyline. <laughs> perfect. Nobody gets character arcs A here. Perfect adaptation. Uh, so we, we get to some Daleks who are having a very slow conversation as the Daleks do and they're basically talking about nothing the entire time uh, they're fucking giving exposition we're like oh yeah we are stuck in this, this, these yeah. machines we cannot go out of the city and it's like yeah we, you don't need to tell each other this I'm, I'm, I'm presuming you're aware of what your status is <laughs> it's like it's like if I sat here and was like oh yeah you and you know me Matthew did you know we're recording a podcast right now? No. Like we're talking well, about gonna, Doctor Who, the movie. I'm, I'm going to need to listen to somebody explain to me what a <laughs> podcast is. Feel free. You should listen as well. Here we go. Let's listen to them right now. You know, like, because they literally, they then go, our prisoners might be talking about something. Let's listen. And then listen for a few minutes uh, on the security footage to whatever it is the Doctor is talking about. Or sorry, Doctor Who is talking about. Uh, it's not the Doctor. My mistake. Um... Yeah, it's. I find all these Dalek scenes to be the worst scenes. I like when they're moving, and not talking. Mm-hmm. Whenever they talk, I just my eyes glaze over. I like. Yeah, they basically talk at one syllable syllable per second. So they talk like this because the lights are very slow. But sometimes they speed up like this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Uh, but the Daleks come in and they basically say, hey, everyone's dying of radiation. You need to go out and get some medicine or whatever it is. And one of you need mm-hmm. to do it. And for whatever reason, Susan's the only one healthy enough to leave. They don't really explain why. You'd assume she'd die first because she's the smallest. Yeah, in the TV show, uh, obviously Ian is paralyzed. The doctor is in a coma because he's very old. 
think Barbara is also very ill. And Susan is like the only person who feels okay, I guess, because she's alien. A young but time warrior. She's yeah. human. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, I think a good comic relief moment would have been everybody looking at Ian and him being like, oh my god, you want me to go out there? <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden he just tries to stand up and falls over. Or instead. Oh, yeah. Instead, Ian, like, volunteers and then falls over. He has, like, a brave man moment. His character completely changes from the bumbling idiot to this really calm and collected dude very soon. Yeah. Um, Yeah, the moment where he's like, oh, yeah, I'll volunteer is directly from a TV show, which is like, that's not how you write Ian in this movie, though. Mm -hmm. Why are you writing him as a hero all of a sudden? He's a a coward. What are you doing? Literally, he's so much a coward. Susan, the 10-year-old girl, called him a coward a few scenes ago. (laughs) Like, she literally went, you're a coward. But... Uh, but Susan is the one that ends up having to volunteer. Uh, everybody else kind of weakly is like, no, come back. Oh, stop. Uh, and the Daleks lead her out into this very, very spectacularly wide set uh, at, yeah. at the edge of the city. She has to slowly climb down the rocks. It's beautiful to look at. Maybe it goes on a bit long, but it's ridiculously big. Like, and There must be some yeah. visual trickery going on there somewhere. Like. If the camera feels like it's like forty or fifty feet back, it's it's incredible how small she is on the image. It's like this set is obviously massive. It's the biggest in Europe, and they're making good use out of it. Yeah, it it, it looks amazing. And then we get a, a quite a few minutes of uh, her walking through the woods and nothing much happening but music playing and you know general themes. Uh, but it's 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 so nice to look at. You don't even mind. You know, you don't even yeah. mind because it's some of the best stuff. From what I remember in the TV show, we play this out as well, but it's even longer and it's just awkward shots because the studio is so small. So it's just uh, basically Carl Ann Ford running in front of a camera and the background is just repeating like a Flintstones uh, <laughs> episode. And she's and she's screaming the entire time, whereas here, Susan is like, oh yeah, not making any, any noise, which is very peaceful for my ears. Yeah. I like it a lot. <laughs> your, your ears aren't sore and your eyes get to appreciate the visuals. It's great. We also this is also where we find that where Ian finds out you know he figures out what's wrong uh, and that the doctor was lying about the mercury and he's super chill about it he's like yeah whatever the doctor lied we're all doomed uh, again yeah. straight out <laughs> straight out of the TV show he's not or like maybe not line for line out the TV show but the characterization he's no longer bumbling fool he's no longer a bumbling yeah. fool. Uh, yeah, in the TV show, he's he's calm and collected, kind of in this moment, because he's like he's thinking more about okay, how are we going to get out of a situation? We can't be angry at the doctor because that would just waste time. But you know, in the TV show, he's also very angry at the doctor. He's also a hero. He, whereas here, it's like this feels out of character for the bumbling idiot who just sat on chocolate like half an hour ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, and we also then- also also. Another great scene for this film would have been he he sat on chocolate. Imagine if his ass was covered in chocolate and one of the files was like, "Did did you shit yourself?" Yeah, I'm sure that would have played really well in the 1960s. <laughs> um, they, uh, the, the, we also get a great scene with the Daleks where the Daleks go. By the way, we're bad guys and we're just gonna <laughs> let the good guys die. Uh, we're not gonna give them the medicine because we're the bad guys. If if you we're we're bad, by the way. Uh, but they take a long time to say it. Uh, but Susan eventually makes it back to the TARDIS after running away from this mysteriously cloaked figure. She like throws sand on him and stuff like that. 
she makes it back to the TARDIS and we get one of my favorite shots in this film where the TARDIS doors slowly open. Uh, it's this awesome shot of the TARDIS doors opening where the TARDIS is in close up and the doors open and we start panning up from the feet and we see a cape and we're like Superman, uh, you know, cause he's, <laughs> he's wearing a cape for some reason. He's standing there all heroically and we pan up to his face and it's a dude in makeup, very effeminate makeup. The thals are in, it's uh, an interesting design choice. Uh, yeah, at the time, critics uh, uh, talking about the Fowls criticized the makeup resembling a cross between Mr. Spock and a punk rocker. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. Uh, it, it's very Vulcan hair. Um, yeah. With very heavy eyeliner. Uh, also, these, these dudes are like just total twinks as well. They have <laughs> no body hair, and this is for a reason. Uh, the male fowls were told to shave their entire body. They were upset as if they felt like their masculinity was attacked, but they eventually got offered more money if they shaved. So they got paid for shaving their entire body. Absolutely, which is amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, uh, but the 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 shot the shot ends with him stepping into the TARDIS and the doors closing behind him and it's just it's awesome it's such a cool shot it gives this guy a very almost like godly look to him you know as yeah. the, the TARDIS is like following uh, his every command sort of deal it's it's very cool it is such an interesting look for the fowls as well it's like yeah it's got like blue makeup just above his eyes it's like yeah he 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 takes time in the morning just to put on makeup. <laughs> Now, normally there would be a perfectly smooth transition here where we continue talking about the episode without you noticing. Uh, however, just to, to mention something going on, you can probably hear already, uh, between the last cut and now, I have caught COVID and I'm currently going through it, so my voice is gone almost completely. I keep coughing. <laughs> Uh, like mental, uh, we had to. We the had fake, to, the fake disease. The fake disease. Scott Scott gave me virtually. Remember, he had it a few <laughs> like a month ago, and now I've got it. Uh, we had to cancel a day of recording because of how bad I had it a few days ago. Uh, I'm feeling much better now, but just still symptoms up my ass. So if this episode ends up being late, that's why. It, hopefully, it won't be. But it's currently Thursday, and it's supposed to come Sim up tomorrow. So. Symptoms up your ass. What 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 are symptoms this COVID? <laughs> you don't want to know. Oh dear God. But anyway, let's get on with the episode, shall we? <clears throat> so the Thal man comes into the TARDIS and he's like, "Hey, I want to give you some exposition. First, here's a cape." Second, here's some medicine. Third, uh, yeah, we're the mutations the same as the Daleks, but imagine how gross the Daleks are because we look like regular people. And then he just leaves. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, That's actually, it's actually a genuinely good line where he's like, oh yeah, if, if we're mutated, what must the Daleks look like? You know, what if we're the monsters? It's it, a great it, line. Yeah, it lets you, you know, imagine the what the Dalek looks like and then you could, they tease it out in the later scene where you see the... This, the tentacle come out. Uh, of course, we, as modern Doctor Who fans, know what the Daleks look like. And honestly, I don't think I've ever had a problem with the, how the Daleks have looked outside of their containers. You know, they've always been the weird squid alien guys, and it's always looked yeah, great. It's, it's always been very consistent. Sometimes they're green, sometimes they're pinkish, but yeah, it's always been consistent in design. It's a squid monster. Yeah, yeah. 
we then uh, Susan just kind of gets back to Scarrow, like or, or to the city. They're on Scarrow, wherever the city is called. Uh, she, they they get she gets back no problems, ass out. Like she just teleports back. Uh, where it took her a long time to get back to the TARDIS, but back yeah. to the city, easy peasy. Uh, and here the Daleks are like, "Hey, you, you're hiding something. Show us, show us what you're hiding." And she's like, "I'm not hiding anything. What? She's holding a cape." Yeah. She she didn't have that cape when she left. She's just holding it for everyone to see. And the dog's <laughs> like, "There's something behind that cape." But she's like, "Nah, it's yeah. It's, it's not a cape. For, it's not a cape we're interested in, which yeah. looks like a foul cape. We've seen fouls before. We must know what their capes look like. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the drugs we're after. It's the cocaine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but of course, they they find the drugs, and it kind of works out for Susan because she was trying to hide them to get them to the doctor and stuff mm-hmm. uh but the daleks go oh you brought drugs okay well you can give some of it to your friends and we'll take a little sample for our it's like awesome well that works out for both of us then yeah. <laughs> you know it's really not not an issue at all uh and then we get a really long talking scene with the daleks where they're like we will get the drugs and use the drugs for our own benefits and then also defeat the thals and also but it goes on for like three four minutes yeah. like it is rough there there's a much worse version of this happening later but whenever the daleks are on screen by themselves this is it'll be a recurring complaint from us is yeah. how awful and long it takes for them to say a sentence like, like I, I don't give a shit that the lights don't, don't match. Just make the speed a bit more, you know, up-tempo. Make it faster, you know? Because I don't give a shit if the lights match at all. Because in the previous scene, when Susan is in the room of all the Daleks, all of the lights are flashing. It's like, okay, we don't need... You know, you've you've already made so many changes to the established canon with this movie so it's clearly it's not canon it's a standalone thing you can make it Mm. that the daleks are just flashing all the time why does that need to be where no we need to get that accurate we need to go back and fix that mistake you know whereas everybody just calls tardis tardis the daleks the doctor's a human susan's a little girl and barbara's his grand like you've already made these changes just make them flash in lights who cares at this point you know I do understand it with the Daleks, you know, when they're having a conversation together, you won't be able to tell who's talking. But even here, you're you're watching each one flash, and you can just sped up the footage to make the speech go faster, or whatever, because we're in the room together. When it's in the room of other humans, you'd notice that the humans are moving a bit too fast. Mm. But here, the Daleks are just looking at each other, and uh, the, the red one is kind of looking at... Uh, the black one's chest for some reason because <laughs> the eye is just facing right down to the chest uh, yeah the, the eye control on these Daleks isn't great anyway uh, but the Daleks say that they need to you know they're, they're going to get Bar- uh, Susan to write a letter to the Thals like a hey we could be best friends type letter uh which is a weird one uh, because like they write out the letter and then she's like and sign it with your name uh so susan signs the letter with susan and doesn't sign it like the dal love daleks she you know it's yeah. like she signs it with her name as if she's some sort of ambassador now for the daleks and then the daleks just explain the evil plan to susan they're like oh by the way we are gonna kill the thals once they you deliver this letter it's gonna be great <laughs> yeah about that, about that scene firstly it's weird to hear the daleks use the term friend like in other instances they wouldn't know what the word friend means 
and in the TV show, Susan actually signs the letter Susan herself. And the Daleks are like, Susan? What yeah. is Susan? Because <laughs> they don't know the concept of names. Except yeah. later on, they do know the concept of names because they learn. Russell T. Davis. They learn. <laughs> uh, yeah, and also it, it would be apropos... Not apropos, that's, I don't think that's the right word. It, w- it would be... I, I, I'm so co- fog-minded. I don't know. We would be mistaken not to mention at this point the three glorious lava lamps that yeah. are in the middle of this scene for no reason. Uh, why the Daleks have lava lamps, <laughs> how they invented them, how they move them and turn them on, it's all a mystery, uh, as I say, <laughs> but they're there and they're cool. Yeah, it's, it's just there because it's the six days and this is in colour. That's only two reasons we need to know. But it's, it's not for the Daleks, it's for the audience, you know? Yeah, uh, this is also where the Doctor discovers that there's a giant security camera in their cell. Uh, we will see the security camera in the next scene. How they didn't see it until yeah, this point, shocking. Uh, but they, they see the security cam... Like, also, the, the corridors are full of these eyes, and we don't notice them either. It's like, it's like you know, earlier on when Barbara's walking through the corridors, there's like yeah. eight eyes on the fucking wall. It's like, how did you not see it? Why are you all so blind? Yep. Uh, but, you know, Susan gets brought back to the cell, and she immediately has a plan with Ian to get rid of the security camera and they do it really quick it's you know no trouble at all really uh which kind of ticks off the Daleks but really it doesn't play into anything again it just lets our heroes come up with a plan to defeat the Daleks without the Daleks knowing uh they never come in to fix the CCTV or anything yeah, so in the TV show, they make up a plan as to, oh yeah, we're going to start arguing. There's some people on the side of the Daleks saying, oh yeah, the Daleks are friendly, they'll take care of us. Other people are like, oh yeah, we must escape from the Daleks, and they start fighting. Susan gets on the back of uh, Ian, takes off the camera without mentioning she's going to take off the camera. Whereas here, Susan's like, oh yeah, we'll be able to talk without them seeing or t- hearing us, as the camera is still it's connected, on. so yeah. the, Daleks, the Daleks can still hear her doing it intentionally it's very bizarre change of um script yeah here yeah uh we also yeah we then cut back to the thals uh for one of the few scenes where we're with the thals and not with our human companions and the thals are like god we're gullible aren't we yeah (laughs) we're we're all gonna get murdered by the daleks because they're like you know we're starving at this point and you know if 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 things fall through with the daleks we're gonna have to travel across a desert to get back to where we our people are from or where we think where people are from so and you know if the daleks have food why wouldn't they give it to us (laughs) ha 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 i'm sure they're friendly uh the thals have never been interesting characters to me in the tv show or in this movie they're just so bland and just yeah there's no personality to either of them. They all sound and act exactly the same, almost. It's just, um, what if the Daleks looked like people and were boring? Yeah. <laughs> so the interesting thing about this is the woman foul is, it's not her actual voice. She wasn't available to do ADR, so somebody else came in to dub over her, which is kind of distracting in a way. I didn't Apparently, notice. Apparently, when watching the movie at the premiere, she found the experience in ve- the experience very alienating. You know, just to watch and see your face and not have voice. your voice. Yeah, yeah I can yeah. imagine. Then the next scene we have, we are back in the cell, and they everybody's trying to come up with a plan. They're like, you know, uh, how exactly do these Daleks work? Well, you know, it, there's this smell in the air that you get at Dodgems. 
Have you ever noticed a smell? Uh, it must be some sort of 1960s health and safety nightmare, because I don't think I've ever noticed, mm, oh yes, that's the smell of dodgems at this circus. Yes, that's the static electricity <laughs> in the air. Well, I haven't been around dodgems in like maybe 15 years, so I can't quite remember if there's a distinctive smell. It's probably a 1960s thing, yes. Yeah, it's probably um, just, uh, you know, this is going to catch fire at one point. If a Dodgems line is a um, a line directly from a TV series, and when I was watching that, I was thinking, oh my god, it makes so much sense why Peter Capaldi winds up riding the Daleks like a Dodgem in series <laughs> 10 or 9. Like, yeah. how did I not make that connection before? <laughs> uh, and, you know, they, they come up with this plan that Susan's still holding this cape uh, because the Daleks were like, sick cape, you can keep it. Uh where if they're going to put the cape on the floor and remove the Dalek from the ground, uh, basically disconnecting it, and then they're just going to murder it dead. Uh, while this is happening, a Dalek delivers food to them, uh, and they're like, sick, nice food, we're going to use this to blind you. Then the Dalek leaves, and the Dalek comes back again after... Um... Well, actually, that first I will say, the Dalek shows up after Ian makes a really terrible joke. Where yeah, he, he's he's doing like, uh, oh, this is such a great plan, isn't it? Oh, Mr. Dalek, please come and step onto the blanket. You know, and it's like, it's a fun bit of sarcasm, but he plays it so over the top. Uh, yeah, it, Ian is all over the place in this movie. Sometimes he acts like his TV show counterpart. Otherwise, other times it's like, oh yeah, we're, we're going to make him distinct enough. To, from a TV show, and it just it's it's constantly these two versions of Ian. It's going back and forth between each other. It's very distracting. Yeah, uh, but the, you know the Dalek leaves, and then the Dalek comes back holding another tray of food, uh, which you said like several hours have passed. There was no indication. My assumption yeah. is that he is just the Dalek is delivering everybody's food one at a time. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. uh, I, I would just presume it's like a couple of hours later. As to the plan with the food. Uh, this is the part where it's like, oh yeah, uh, Barbara has been underwritten in this movie because in the TV show, the plan was, oh yeah, we're going to scrape the bottom of Susan's shoe and collect all the mud and put it in this bowl of water and we're going to make a big muddy substance to put over the Dalek's eyes. Here she's just like, oh yeah, this food is like mud. I'll, I'll just put it on her eye. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, it, it makes her less smart, this plan. Yeah, uh, but the Dalek shows up again. They, it, there's this great bit where the door gets stuck uh, because they jammed the door, and the Dalek's like, what is going on? What is going on with this door? Uh, you know, I'm so confused. And then uh, Barbara's like, Dalek. And the Dalek goes, yes. Uh, <laughs> and it's just like, yes. It makes me laugh every time. Like, he was curious as to what Barbara was going to say. <laughs> he was like, oh, um, could you help me with this door problem? Have you figured out what this, the, the solution is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Um, but yeah, the bit before that where the doors keep on closing, there's a great bit of subtle comedy. Um, every time the doors are completely shut, they start celebrating. Yeah. I mean, the doors start opening again, we just stand in their normal positions. So Barbara rubs her food in the Dalek's eye, uh, and it starts freaking out, and then they start all pushing on the Dalek to get it onto the, the cape. And the Dalek the whole time is going, help, help, somebody help me, help, help. And it's it's pretty traumatizing listening to that Dalek begging <laughs> for its life, you know, as, as our heroes mercilessly kill it. It also falls into the issue with the first generation Daleks in that you can just push them over and push them off and they're really light and easy to move, you know, and they're just, they're yeah. not threatening. 
these first generation Daleks. Yeah. Russell D. Davis did a lot to we've said before in previous episodes, but he did a lot to make the Daleks a genuine threat. Like, Yeah, the, f- the first time you see the Daleks <laughs> in the modern series, you get to see uh, the bulletproof mm-hmm. uh, thing they have over them, which is something those classic series never really did. It's like, oh yeah, we could just push a Dalek out a window and it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it also in the struggle, it doesn't ever use try to use its weapon either. It's just like, oh yeah, um, help me, help me. <laughs> doesn't try to defend itself like what the fuck i think it shoots once or twice but like at nobody because uh, everybody's yeah. like round the back of it and it's just completely in- incapacitated uh but you know they they manage to stop the thing they tell barbara and susan to go to look out while the doctor and ian open up the dalek how they know how the dalek opens up and how they know one that they can do it and that there's going to be a little guy inside they can pull out and that there's going to be yeah. a seat inside that they can drive don't worry about it uh, <laughs> and and also during this whole scene I'm just looking at Barbara in the background there's a point where she looks at a wall to be like is there a Dalek around here at, at the wall <laughs> she's just, they could be anywhere. some weird acting they, back there they, they could be anywhere um, <laughs> but they, 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 they remove the Dalek from inside and Ian climbs in and they lock him in and then we get a very nice shot of the dalek squid arm kind of coming out it's it's interesting one in this it's got like three claws uh which is not really a design that comes back in the daleks they tend to keep the more squid like tentacles but the daleks with claws is an interesting yeah yeah it make I, I suppose it makes them a bit more threatening when they're actually outside of the case you know they could defend themselves somewhat rather than just being just blobs but this dalek never mm-hmm. comes back again so don't get too attached no, yeah, like, I, yeah, even in TV shows, like, whatever happened to Vistalik? Did he find his way back into another case or something? He just kind of sits there. Dies, <laughs> Very bizarre. Probably dies. Probably, yeah. Rest in peace. So, uh, inside the Dalek, Ian is escorting everybody else down the hallway when they run across another Dalek. And Ian has to do some improvisation uh, being like, oh, these are my prisoners and I'm escorting them elsewhere in the building. Uh, and the Dalek's like, I didn't hear anything about that. I don't believe you. And, the, and then Susan actually saves the day here, which I liked was with she, she started being like, oh, no, I don't want to go with you. Ah, Tries to run away and causes the other Dalek to apprehend her and Ian to be like, hey, help me escort this these people, will you? And uh, I, I thought it was a pretty clever little plan. It was nice. You know, Susan in this is really good. Uh, Barbara's blank slate, you know, Barbara yeah. could have done this and it could have given her one thing. One thing yep. in the movie to do, you know? Uh, uh, but- this set piece in general is just really fun. You know, going inside of a Dalek is just such a fun concept. They sometimes revisit it in Doctor Who, but not that often, you know? It's kind of weird to go back to the concept of, oh yeah, we're going inside the Dalek nowadays because the Daleks Probably are so strong. The most famous version of that, I would think, is the episode Inside the Dalek. Um, yeah. where Peter Capaldi makes himself a little, little man and he goes inside <laughs> Dalek. Uh, there's also like that second, episode. Third episode? There's al- yeah, there's also that episode for next season where Clara is actually inside of a Dalek yeah. as well. Where did the, know, the, the souffle? The souffle. Oh, where, no, where, that, where, that's the one that they, where they just say, yeah. like, they exterminate whenever they're like, I feel sad. And then it's like, exterminate. Like, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I really don't like that episode. It's so fucking dumb. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's we, okay. The episode was half good. 
Dal- yeah. Dal- Dalek canon, for the most part, it, it's kind of it's it's like Doctor Who canon. Well, I mean, it literally is Doctor Who canon, but it's like Time Lord canon. You can it's it's muddy and half makes sense, and the other half is like. It's like, oh yeah, suddenly there's like a million Daleks and you can never get rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> From like the original four, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, uh, here Susan is just like, oh yeah, I'm going to put my arm in your side of your little hook because obviously the Dalek prop cannot do that. So she has to effortlessly do it as well. Yeah. Uh, but they escort them into this elevator room. And then they're like, okay, you leave Dalek and I'll escort them up. And the Dalek's like, okay, no problem with me. <laughs> it leaves and then they lock the door and then that Dalek sends a message to the base being like, hey, I just helped escort the prisoners. Look at me. And then the prisoners at the base, the other Dalek's <laughs> like, what, what? We didn't tell the prisoners to get escorted. And that Dalek's like, oh no. Uh, it's it's a very convoluted sequence. And then... <laughs> yeah. What what you just said is actually more entertaining than the thing itself because <laughs> in in the movie it's just like half a minute of oh yeah I'm gonna turn around to the machine push yeah. the button to talk to the other Daleks I'm gonna talk to the Daleks very slowly I'm gonna turn back and sound the alarm it's just so slow when a yeah. when a fucking Dalek with a fucking flame gun pops in which is brilliant I, it, it does it does uh, and you know. They they try pushing Ian up into the elevator, but there's like a little lip, and th- he can't get into the elevator. And you're left with the question: Why would the Daleks design an elevator they can't get into? Um, yeah, it does is is like the elevator is an all the way down properly because yeah. later on a Dalek does use it. Why not just press the down no button and make it come down a little bit more? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but then they're like, "It's okay, you can just come out the suit, Ian." Uh, but he can't because he is stuck in it. And then they're like, well, bye, Ian. And everybody else climbs into the elevator and escapes as the other Dalek starts cutting a hole through the door. And a pretty good effect. Doctor Who has always done cutting through doors very well. Uh, and, you know, it, it cuts through the door and just shoots Ian dead. He just yeah. explodes, uh, which it was a pretty decent looking effect. I like how the Dalek didn't hesitate. Like as soon as that door drops, it just shoots. It doesn't ask yeah. questions <laughs> or do anything. It just fires, which felt very Dalek to me. Uh, but Ian's death is immediately undermined by Ian's immediate resurrection as he's coming up in the elevator. He's just a bit sweaty and they're like, how did you escape Ian? And he's like, huh, well, <laughs> like, he just yeah. he doesn't explain it. In the TV show, it takes longer for the Daleks to get through the doors because they start off with the top in the, in the movie and we just leave the top. We don't do the sides. But in the TV show, we do the sides. We do the whole door. So it takes even longer for the Daleks to get through the door. Whereas here, it's like, we're done in like 30 seconds and it doesn't make any sense for Ian to escape. Yeah. In the TV show, it makes more sense because it took <laughs> longer for the Daleks to get through. But, you know, they, they have to c- condense it down somehow. Yeah. Uh, but the they, they then have the conundrum of the Daleks are coming up the lift because by the way they can get in the lift now uh, and they're like yep. how, how, how are we going to stop this and Ian's got the solution of let's drop something on their head which they do and the Daleks all die and the Doctor's like well that's the end of that chapter and you this, know, this is something that makes more sense in the movie because here is like a control panel or something why isn't You're the just... control panel put it on the floor why? But in but compared to the original TV show, where it's 
for some reason just a giant rock. Yeah. I mean, just have they pushed down the giant rock? Why is there a giant rock? Why why does the Dalek need a giant rock? Don't know. <laughs> Someone's pet. Uh, while this is happening, the Thals are climbing up to the city, and they're like, "God, we're going to be best mates with the Daleks. This is going to be wonderful." Uh, and the Doctor and that are like, "Hey, we have to go warn the Thals that they're all going to go die." Uh, and he like escapes to a certain bit. The geography of this city is non-existent. People are just through corridors and appearing in other rooms and stuff like that. Yeah. You, I, I have no idea of how big any space is, and it all feels quite small. This is what I was saying to you yeah. uh, while we were watching it, is it doesn't ever feel like they're in a city. It feels like they're in like one building, like they're in a laboratory, uh, yeah. you know? Which I, it, yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's two giant sets, and it feels like they're just right next to each other. It's like a two-minute walk to get down to where the falls all are. Yeah. Whereas in, later on, we just find out, oh yeah, we have to go through caves t- to get through here and shit like that. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it's inconsistent for sure. Uh, but the the doctor appears and he's like, "Hey, the Daleks are gonna kill you!" As all the Thals show up and they're like, "What?" And then all the Daleks kill one of the Thals and everybody else runs away. And the doctor and that run away with them. And now we are with the Thals and it's very green. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it's a very brief conversation the doctor has with. I'm just assuming this guy is the de facto leader of the Thals. Yeah. And it basically boils down to the Doctor going by. Yeah. <laughs> basically, yeah. You know, it's... It, yeah, basically the conversation is, our planet has been completely destroyed. We cannot afford to go to the Daleks today to try and fight them off because, you know, like, we don't want the planet to be destroyed even more. We, we just want to live in peace. And as long as the Daleks don't, cannot come out to us... We are just fine living like this. Yeah, and the, Which the, is... the doctor goes, awesome, I'm going home. <laughs> uh, you know? Yeah. There's that, he, doesn't, that... He, do- he doesn't offer them a trip into TARDIS at all. It's like He could take them to yeah. that desert they were talking about going in two seconds flat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and he could fit all of them in, but he's like, okay, well, bye. Uh, like... <laughs> Uh, and they all load into the TARDIS. Well, not all of them. The humans do. They leave the Thals behind. And then we get an extremely long scene of people sitting in silence, pressing buttons, going, check, yeah. check, check. And But the TARDIS doesn't go because the Doctor's forgotten his Mercury tube, uh, which yeah. apparently the Daleks have. I'm, I'm pretty sure in the TV show, they're about to go into TARDIS and Ian goes into his pocket and he's like, oh, shit. The, the, the Daleks must have it's dropped. That direct line. The, uh, yes, we, yeah. we, Ian says, "Oh shit! Yeah. The Daleks must have dropped the tube when they were searching me. We have to go back." Whereas here, it's like, "Oh yeah, we we have to check the TARDIS." But that's that's all do our little bits, and it's like a minute long scene. It's yeah. incredibly dull. And this is where they decide they're going to have to team up with the Thals to beat up the stupid Daleks. So the doctor is talking with the leader of the Thals and he's like, let's go fight the Daleks. And the leader of the Thals is like, "Ah, we're kind of like a peaceful people. So that's going to be a no from me, chief. 
meanwhile, the Daleks are like, we're going to nuke the world. We are going to absolutely annihilate everybody because it turns out the anti-radiation pills don't work on us Daleks. So we, we're, we're bound to these metal suits. So screw the world, screw the Thals. It's going to be our planet. Uh, yeah, uh, the Daleks are basically watching a TV screen with other Daleks basically tripping on acid. <laughs> They're just spinning around, just having a bad effect with drugs um but in the tv show we got like a first eye perspective of one of the daleks just tripping and there's a whole kaleidoscopic kind of view on it with daleks spinning and it looks really good and it feels like they should have done that here because could you imagine it on a bigger budget with colors yeah but it'd be a very trippy thing <laughs> i would love that i also that brings up a point that i've been thinking about watching this movie because this film never at any point really feels like a film to me, uh, you know, because it's all shot on studio. It's, it's you know, relatively cheap. It's very dated for its time. But the way that I in, I see this movie kind of is like if Doctor Who back in the 60s had the budget Doctor Who has now. You know, it's, mm. you know, it's this bright, colorful, there's these huge, lavish sets that I'm sure the TV show would have murdered somebody to actually get a hold off. You know, there's pretty yeah. amazing looking effects with the Daleks and stuff like that, you know, which is stuff that we can do now uh, with, granted, much bigger budgets than they were working with back now. But, you know, comparatively speaking, uh, that, that's kind of how I see this film is like a bigger budget version. I mean, it is just a bigger budget version of the TV show, but it's like if the TV show had a budget, uh, this is kind of what it would be like. Um, and it's it, bad, mostly. So yeah, this movie, miss, miss, I would say this movie is like almost on like Star Trek level in terms of budget. You know, yeah. it feels like Star Trek could have feel, done something feel, very similar. It for feels costume-wise, especially with the Thals, feels very original series. Uh, yeah. Star Trek, yeah, yeah, and that's one of the things. Like the B, I would just want the BBC to have. I'm, I'm saying this as as a person in 2022, but seeing it towards the series in the 60s, I would prefer the TV show to have this kind of budget in the 60s. But obviously, yeah. that never happened, which is yeah. a shame. But also, the low budget kind of adds to the charm of Doctor Who. You know, it does. It does definitely. Uh, but we then cut back to the Doctor and the Thals, and the Thals are like, yo, we are peaceful, we're never gonna fight, you know, and we're just gonna mark down our history and live a good life, and the Doctor's like, well, okay, if you're not gonna fight, we're gonna steal one of your women and trade it for Mercury with the Daleks. And he gets Ian to, to grab one of the ladies. And Ian, first of all, is like, uh, no. And then he's like, actually, yes. And... <laughs> He grabs one of the women and starts pulling her away as the other Thals start freaking out. And then the big leader Thal comes up and just very 1960s punches uh, Ian uh, and he goes falling down, which is a very contrived plan for the Doctor to get Ian punched in the face. Yeah. Uh, so in the TV show, this was Ian's plan all along. It was Ian who decided, okay, I'm going to hit on one of the girls to be like, you, you have to fight for something and this is what you'll fight for, love. And it's, it was Ian's plan. It made so much more sense. Whereas here, it's like I just want my uh, I, I just want my daughter's boyfriend just get punched in the face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please just hit him in the face. Just hit him in the face. Uh, and you know, once he gets hit in the face, he's like, "See, you guys are willing to fight for something." Uh, so let's let's go fight the Daleks, and they're like, "Oh my God, I'm yeah, you've convinced me. Let's go murder people." <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because fighting 
someone because to, pr- to protect yeah to, to yeah. protect somebody getting stolen from camp is the exact same as initiating a war uh to Ag- get against, back a tube of uh, mercury <laughs> yeah against little mutants in um battle tanks like yeah yeah <laughs> it's not comparable yeah. exactly the same thing uh and they start coming up <laughs> with this plan and they just they are talking about how like around the city there's all these different things but there's this deadly swamp at one side and they know it's deadly because a bunch of them died there and then they're like well we should go that way again hey ian you lead the team going that way and the doctor doesn't object he's like yeah that sounds like a good good idea ian you should definitely go do that plan uh where, where you go into the deadly swamp and you know they come up with the plan of attack extremely quickly and then we're off to them going through the the swamp which is a dreadful sequence i want to say yeah <laughs> yeah um one of the fouls they even puts his arm around Ian is like yeah we're gonna be led by a brave friend over yeah. here yeah brave friend this version of ian is anything but brave if and anything, he just tried doctor. to steal one of your people why would you put him <laughs> in charge why would you trust this man ever again yeah, it's no. very bizarre. Uh, but they're they're walking through the swamp for like two seconds before they're like, "Oh my god, I'm so tired. We need to rest." And then Ian's like, "I'm gonna have a bath," and like, because yeah. <laughs> there's this, you, you know, you know, he was just warned of like mutations yeah. in the water. And he's like, "I'm gonna wash my face now." And, and they're like, definitely not up against the clock and trying to stop, you know, the Daleks attacking them before they attack. And there's not other teams of people going to attack the city at this time. No, they've got time to stop and have a bath. Nobody's relying on them to surprise attack. Um, but Ian sticks his face in the water, and we get a pretty cool shot where, you know power to the actor he is full-on taking that water to his eyeballs as they yeah. are they are open up wide that could have, that must have been uncomfortable uh where he's like oh my god i saw something under the water and everybody's like yeah it's mutated water you know uh but <laughs> they eventually find that like the daleks are drinking this water like it's got pipes and another foul's like cool i'm gonna go fill up all our water flasks and you guys go on ahead and it's like this is just a terrible plan what's going on <laughs> uh and then so everybody leaves this one thal to go fill up the mutated water uh and you know they're they're walking along one of the thals gets his foot stuck in some mud and everybody pulls him out and then the thal in the water gets pulled into the water and screams and everybody runs after him and it starts like bubbling up because he's obviously dead um yes so in the tv show they're just setting up camp for the night because they've been traveling all day and they're like oh yeah we need to sit down one of the files goes off to get some water and of course the same thing happens to that file but the only thing is that the tv file didn't see ian get attacked almost and he didn't hear yeah. anything by that I and mean, also like in the tv show it makes sense of why he would go into the water but here just like but you just saw ian freak out because of what he saw in the water it doesn't make any sense yeah yeah it's dumb also, um, this is there's a moon in the very background. pretty moon. A very pretty. It's moon. very pretty. Some very pretty set paintings here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, we're with Ian in that, and there's like this really big hill, and then everybody on set went. This should take minimum three and a half <laughs> minutes for them to climb up. Yeah. Minimum, <laughs> and and so we watch four people climb up the side of a cliff for a very long time and And there is no tension there's no tension at all and it's um a masterpiece 
Uh, the, there's, only... there's one if point you... where uh-huh. they were lower on the mountain. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then they took a step up, but no, oh my God, they got a little bit higher. Wow. And yeah, I was, it's... I, I was on the edge of my seat. Yeah, there's one point where Ian almost didn't make it up, but then he made it up. Very exciting. But the best part of this scene is actually the matte painting. They occasionally cut to a wide shot and there's a beautiful matte painting made by Ted Samuels. And it is amazing. It's like a um, Doctor Who annual cover. It's brilliant. I love it. Even though it does look a bit cartoony, but, you know, it's the 60s. Uh, We then get a very slow scene with the Daleks. Uh, I like the staging. It's very uh, Third Reichy with all the Daleks yeah. lined up, uh, but it's it's just a, a general war speech. It's, it goes on too long. Especially the opening low shot of a Dalek. It very, it very much looks like a Nazi. But the best part of this is getting to see all the Dalek props in one room. There's like 18 Daleks compared to the original four Daleks in the original TV show. And, you know, the original TV show also had paper, uh, cardboard cutouts of Daleks, which did not look good, so I'm glad we didn't do it here. It looks very nice, seeing all the Daleks in one room. And then we get the punch heard across the world as the the away team, let's call them Ian and Barbara and the Thals, are inside some tunnel. One of the Thals is like, the Daleks are going to kill us, I'm going home. Uh, and the other Thal's like, no, you're not, and he just punches him. Again, the Thals are peaceful people, but that yep. punch <laughs> causes this huge rupture above them as stones start <laughs> falling. Like, the punch is so powerful, it destroys their surroundings and causes a cave-in where they become trapped. It's incredible. It reminds me of every TV show where uh, sound can all of a sudden cause an avalanche. It's like, what the fuck? How yeah, does this happen? Yeah. It's just a punch. How? <laughs> But okay. Yeah, it's just that powerful. Uh, you know, it's like that scene in the Simpsons movie where Bart is clapping yeah. <laughs> outside uh, at the mountain. Um, but meanwhile, while this has been happening, we've been cutting back to the Doctor and the Thals. Uh, and the reason I'm not really said anything about them is because they're just sitting around like, God, we don't have a plan. I don't know what to do next. Uh, which is interesting that they sent Ian on his death mission when they yeah. didn't figure out what they were going to be doing before then, you know? Uh, like, like the, the Doctor's a scientist. He could c- come with them, come up with a plan or something. It's very bizarre. If their only plan is to go through the swamp, send everybody through the swamp, why why would you send some and then be like, I will figure out a plan halfway through. You guys don't worry <laughs> about it, you know? But yeah, the Doctor is just sitting around making cakes, or burning cakes, actually, as mm. Susan points out. It's like... Okay, you've just said, been sitting here making cakes the entire time. Okay, it's a bit of a weird thing to do. <laughs> yeah, and then the uh, he he gets like a glint from like some mirrors or something, and he's like, "Oh my god, I figured out what the plan is with the mirrors." And then he gets a bunch of mirrors, and you know he finally figures out the plan way too late into the game. But don't worry, it doesn't cause any problems for them. Yeah, we, uh, we've got, like, 14 minutes of film left, and he's all of a sudden figure out the plan. <laughs> you know, it's very... Yeah, we've, very got like late 14, in the game. we've got about 14 minutes of film left, and five minutes of that is coming up right now as they try to swing over a hole. Uh, so the away team are like, oh, there's a big gap, let's jump, and let's do it one at a time, very slowly. 
and it goes on forever. As we were saying when we were watching it, it's much worse in the TV show, but I would just cut this out if I was making yeah. this. It is such obvious filler, and it's dreadful to watch, and it just kills the pacing. That's you know, And the pacing's been bad, but this yeah. really kills it. Yeah, in, in the movie, it takes like three or four minutes. In the TV show, they keep cutting back to them jumping over a giant gap. I think there's like two gaps even, so it just goes on for even longer. It is just... This is like episode six of a TV show, and that's the worst part of the Daleks' new TV show. And I wish we could have just cut this out, you know? We don't need to see them wandering around the caves. It's just very dull. Uh, while this is happening, what happens? So there, there's one wee change that actually happens in this cave scene that's different from the TV show, and that's the suicide. Yeah. Uh, in the TV show, there's obviously a suicide where one of the Thals kills himself, and he's like, I like the look of this hole, and I'm going to cut the rope and fall into it. Uh, yeah. I, you know, that happens here, but instead he just kind of lands at the bottom or grabs onto rocks or something like yeah it's really bizarre it just it doesn't work in the movie because it's like it's, it's way too much of a coincidence or convenience it's like in a tv show it's like oh yeah i'm just gonna cut myself here because otherwise i'm just gonna be a big threat to these guys because i'm just gonna hold them back i might as well just off myself here but yeah it's just here it's just like oh yeah i'm alive okay there's no point of me cutting the rope then there's no point in me falling down the hole in the first place. Like, what's the point? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we then cut to a very nice shot of all the Thals coming out the forest, approaching the city, and it's this huge pan up again. The set for the outside of the city is is remarkably big. Like, there's so many extras that yeah. are that are there at the moment. You know, all climbing up. And they start, like, shining their reflective mirrors against the security cameras, I think is what they're planning on doing. Which, like, distracts or messes up the systems. Yeah, it's, it's confusing their detectors somehow. It's very, it's very bizarre, but I guess it works. <laughs> yeah, uh, but then the mountain, like, opens in half. One dude falls into it, and we never find out what happens to him. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, all the files run away, but the Doctor and Susan get captured. Oh, no, I wonder if they'll have to listen to slow-talking Daleks. Uh, yep. <laughs> Yeah, they, they basically just stand there as the Daleks are like, do not move. <laughs> it's like, yeah, why are we standing and, there? And then they go like, okay, you stand there and we're going to get ready to launch our nuclear missiles in 100 seconds, 99 <laughs> seconds, 98 seconds. Like it's literal 100 second timer slowly going down. Just to give the Thals a fighting chance, I guess. You know? Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's the same thing in a TV <clears throat> show. It's like, just, just just make it 10 and just kill all the fouls. It's easy. It's simple. But yep. no, we have to give them a chance to fight it off. Okay. <laughs> then we cut to the fouls and they're like, oh, the doctor's been captured. We should actually probably go back and fight. And like, yeah, you should have done that in the first place. <laughs> yeah. And then the leader foul gets a giant stick, breaks it in half. He's like, I'm going to fight the Daleks. What are you going to yeah. do with that stick? It's a no, but we, we get it gets us a cool push in though. We get a cool action zoom, you know. It's it's fun. It just needs the 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 whoosh sound effect, to it. <laughs> and then and that'd be like something I made. Like, 
Yeah, we then, right, we get a scene that I find so incredibly distracting, um, which is when the Dalek is arguing with the Doctor about something. I wish I could tell you, but I actually don't know because the entire conversation, I was too focused on the Dalek in the background that's going 68, 67, <laughs> 66. Like, he's counting down genuinely yeah. second by second throughout this scene, just so you know how long it is. Um, but it's, it's it, it is hard to listen to yeah. to, to focus on what's happening because there's two Dalek voices and one of them is funnier than the other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this set is a giant TV screen. Why not just have the giant TV screen be like having the counter behind the Dalek or something like that, so you can still see what the countdown is without being distracted by the Dalek counting down. Yeah, what are they actually talking about in this scene though? Because I I genuinely don't know. Um, the, do- the doctor is like, oh yeah, uh, we must, you must be in peace with the files, and the Daleks are like, nah mate, fuck off. <laughs> it's basically it. And then also, um, the doctor's like, oh yeah, my TARDIS is just out there, you, you, I'll give you that if you want. Yeah, uh, and while that's happening, Barbara and the away team basically are infiltrating the city, and... Th- you know, I, I came to this realization that they're infiltrating the city with no weapons, plans, or anything. Like, it's, they, yep. they're they they're not going to... It's The Daleks are such a little threat that you don't need weapons to attack them. You just you can just push them over, which is actually how yeah. they win. Spoilers. Uh, but as they're exploring the city, they get chased by one Dalek, and it's about to kill them. And then Indiana Jones shows up and wraps a rope around the Dalek and throws it down an elevator shaft. Uh, it turns out Indiana Jones is actually like five different Thal dudes, <laughs> uh, you know. And but when the Dalek goes falling down the elevator shaft, one, it leaves a giant hole in the wall. Two, it's yeah. like eyeballs and head just explode off it. It looked really cool, and it was probably just because they threw it too hard, like, and the yeah. the, the model actually broke. Yeah, there's a point where we see the falls. Basically, you go into the elevator, escape from the Dalek. And then the Dalek goes to report the files moving. And then we cut to a black Dalek reporting, getting the report. And then that black Dalek reports the files are moving. It's like, okay, we can see it. You're just killing tension here just by going over the same thing over and over again. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, then we get our big action sequence for this film, where the hero Thals and the Doctor and stuff team up to fight off the evil Daleks, and they do that by just kind of pushing them into walls. You know, they just start mm. shoving the Daleks around and making them shoot each other and stuff like that. It's a depressing end to the film. You know, it's a really unengaging action sequence, which, you know, I guess is part of the problem with this first generation of Daleks, and they, they just didn't know what to do with them really to how to make yeah. them threatening but they just kind of push them around they stop the nuclear bomb at three seconds before it explodes and ian's like oh that's my lucky number three hey hey, hey. uh and then as you so rightly put we're then suddenly watching star wars which is prompt because gram off tarkin's here yeah. uh but <laughs> but you know it's the end you know they've defeated the daleks and you know everybody's in the tardis and like right let's go say goodbye to the thals like they're coming out of the TARDIS and there's like a rows and rows and rows of Thals lining like a pathway to them up to the leaders and the leaders are like, Hey, have these cool capes. These are awesome capes. Yeah. <laughs> You'll look really cool in them. And everybody takes the capes and are like, Awesome, sick. 
by uh and they go back into yeah. the tardis and the one detail out of that that i really liked is nobody wears the cape except ian ian is the only one yeah. that puts the cape on and it's perfect you know yeah and he puts it on and walks immediately into the tardis door without looking which is kind of funny i guess if you want to have one blast bit of comic relief from ian except you know he's got another bit coming with, right up yeah which is terrible <laughs> yeah uh so they're back in the tardis they're or, or sorry they're back in tardis as the film would like the dialogue to be said and they're like okay let's press the lever let's go back home and they press the lever they wait a minute ian opens the door to the largest romans you've ever seen in your life the perspective yeah. on because it's green screen like stock footage from some other film that had romans in it and it yeah. is the perspective is so horrendously wrong the tardis is about the size of a football uh yeah. looking up ba- at the romans ba- yeah basically the camera's on the floor and there's romans just walking over the camera and it's like okay but the romans look like they're 20 feet tall it's like what the fuck it's like that uh, i maybe they're regular sized romans but this is like that yeah. episode of doctor who where the tardis started shrinking on the outside you know <laughs> yeah because uh, it is it's it's so it literally it took me out the movie so hard it was so funny and then it gets immediately unfunny when ian becomes a cartoon man starts running yeah. around and he's clearly just improvising and doesn't know what to do because he presses the same buttons like three times and pulls the lever a bunch of times and nobody's reacting to him on set and he's literally yeah. he's got a line he's like do something like you know like please give me something to work with i don't know what i'm supposed to be doing uh, with, with, you know, as, as, as I said, I think this movie has like two versions of Ian. It's a comic relief Ian, and it's the TV version of Ian. They're just co- in constant conflict. But this doesn't even match the comic relief Ian because it just like I've never seen this version of Ian isn't that animated in this movie. Whereas here, it's like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna run around the room and everybody's just gonna stare at me. And that's how the movie's gonna end. The end. And he's he's doing like weird whistling and you know things like that. It's yeah, yeah. It's so strange. And then the, yeah, the movie just ends. Like it's such a sudden ending. They just suddenly beat the Daleks. Everything's okay, and then they leave. Like it, the film just suddenly ends. Uh, which I, partly I think is down to the pacing of the episode that it's based off because the pacing for that episode is ridiculous as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that that brings us to the end of the film a lot quicker than I think we were expecting to get to the end of the film uh yeah. which is I, good for us gives us more time to actually edit the thing but yeah <laughs> what what did yeah, you I think was, about was, this yeah i was expecting this episode to, of the podcast to last much longer because i forgot how little happens in this movie it's just scene after scene of just people standing around uh, this movie is kind of nostalgic for me because it's my first exposure to classic who so i'll always have like fond memories of watching it on a bank holiday or something the movie isn't that great. I think the sequel is a lot better. It's just, it's it's more of an intrigue in terms of like how it got made because it's not related to the TV show. It's the first time the dogs were seen in color and all that. As a movie, I I would, I would just say watch the TV show instead. This movie is just like, if, I I can't re- recommend this movie at all. Really, what about yourself? Yeah. So. I suggested that we watch this for the the anniversary of the of our of our podcast because I was like this is you know a Doctor Who oddity that I know almost nothing about you know I I had seen clips of it and I had seen bits of it on TV when I was young and didn't really understand what was going on and it is just as incomprehensible and boring as I expected it to be it is 
dreadful in almost every way except for music and lighting uh you know everything else is pretty bad and you know i kind of like it it's got that doctor it's got that doctor who cheese and parts of it feel like doctor who and then other parts feel like something completely different the pacing like there's like parts i think the pacing at the start is amazing in the middle it's Mm -hmm. okay and then the end it just it just falls away it crumbles and it becomes so boring yeah that's the problem with adapting this from a seven part story in the first place though because it's the end of a seven part story just like okay we could have wrapped this up around episode four but instead we're just going to keep going and going and going and going it just feels like we could have adapted another story or written like written a new story at least you know yeah, I think the issue that they had was they were trying to capitalize on the, you know, the Dalek mania. It's a lot easier to adapt a seven-part TV series that you know is already successful than it is to come up with that original mm. sci-fi idea because, you know, people loved the dialects in 1965. For, like, I've seen, like, I saw a still image on, I think, Reddit or Facebook or something of the actress that played Susan in the TV show whose name has left my head, COVID brain. Uh, you know, uh, she reading some book or something about Daleks to a bunch of kids and there's just Dalek memorabilia all around her like Daleks were just the thing uh, this year so capitalizing on that as fast as possible I understand why they would just adapt the story but I think it led to a bigger detriment in the film as a whole you know yeah and then there's also the fact that uh, there was no videotapes or DVD players back then. There was only one chance to watch the Daleks when it was on television. And this is like the first big chance to re-watch the story again on a big screen. In colour. Colourful Daleks. And yeah, I, I presume a lot of kids were hyped about this. It's, it's like their Star Wars, basically. Yeah, yeah. What? Speaking of Star Wars... Star Wars? What what did you think of Peter Cushing in this movie? Because I really like the softer touch of the first Doctor. I feel like his Doctor is like more of a grandfather type, and I really like his interpretation. I like him. I don't think he's the Doctor. There's yeah. moments where he's like reading the comic book where it's like, oh, that's the Doctor. But for the most part, he's just a bland old man. Mm. You know, he's like regular nice old man, but he never does anything, ex- you know, and the first doctor doesn't do anything that extravagant, but he's weird. You know, he's like constantly yeah. fidgeting his fingers and going, hmm, uh, you know, uh, but <laughs> like Yoda. yeah, but, but this, this version of the doctor doesn't do any of that. He's just like this nice old man and he doesn't, he doesn't feel like the extravagant personality that you're used to the doctor having, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but it's, it's, it's a very different performance than Grand Moff Tarkin. You know, it's, oh, it's for, night for and day. Sure. <laughs> like, uh, but I think that pretty much wraps up this film for us, doesn't it? Yeah, it is, it's been an insane watch. It feels like this was going to take forever to record, but it's going to be a short podcast at the end of it, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely over two and a half hours, at least. Maybe three hours at a push. Um, but, yeah, so... What did you think of this movie? Have you seen this movie before? Let us know by sending us an email at whowatcheswhopod and we will read it out in our news episode. Uh, what, else, what, what else? I'm so 
dead covid man right uh so follow us on twitter at watches doctor on facebook at who watches who on youtube at who watches who podcast is available in video form there and in audio form wherever you listen to your podcast there is a heap of links in the description you can follow me at cloth223 see the stuff i do at youtube.com slash mess youtube uh what what you you talk now what have we got coming up next 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 week we've got the news and yeah we're just going to be talking about the news and especially the casting of rose for the 60th anniversary that'll be an interesting talk because there's a whole lot of spoilers and leaks about that that we could cover all day um after that we've got in june the first week of june we've got the second season of christopher eccleston's big finish storylines which is incredible like he's got more big finish stuff than tv shows at this point which is very strange and then we've got a very special one. We've got Curse of Fatal Death, which we see is a, which was a comic relief Doctor Who special, which has like um, Mr. Bean as the Doctor. It's a very odd one. We've got Hugh Grant as the Doctor. And then the week after that, we've got another alternative Doctor Who story, which is um, Turn Left. We're very excited about Donna coming back. We're talking about that episode for a change, which will be interesting. It's a good episode. I remember that being a very good episode. Uh... Yeah, so we've got a lot of stuff coming up for June. A lot of weird stuff coming up for June. I say weird stuff. There's one weird thing, and then it's like a big finish and a regular <laughs> episode. But, you know, it's it, it, June will be a fun month, I think, off the pod. So be sure to subscribe and like and share and, you know, all the regular stuff podcast people or YouTube people or any content you consume ask you to do. You know, you get it. Uh, but until then... I don't know, do something else. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>